Hey, Internet. Every week, every week, I, I walk out of this thinking it can't get any weirder. And every week, I, I'm proven wrong. And I, I don't know which of the things most impacted you this week. I've got a number, including some that are close enough to me that I'm not going to be talking about them. But the things that this world can throw at you at any given time that you don't expect, for me, it's been mounting this year. I, I thought I kind of had my original sin meter set at such a level that you couldn't surprise me with humanity anymore, but I'm 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 calling it in on that one. I'm repenting um, in dust and ashes. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about a number of things. One which you might not think is very very meaningful. When I tweeted about this yesterday, why is no one tweeting about this? Um, I got scoffed at by at least two people, <laughs> uh, and, and so I don't usually draw much attention at all, other than a couple of people who like what I retweet. Right? Um, and I think that's probably why people follow me on Twitter is more for the retweets than anything else. Anyway. It's rare that I get scoffed at. So I clearly have overplayed my hand on the importance of the Supreme Court ruling this week that didn't get national attention because there was one that did get national attention. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit, but I have a guest with me as well who you, – you know – Professor Kuntz already. Um, I'm excited to announce that at, at some time in the next month, we will be launching a podcast together called uh, A History of Power and wrestling with some of these very ideas. Uh, how has original sin – played itself out in history in ways that we shouldn't be so surprised about and that we as Christians especially can learn from and apply the Bible in our lives that are set against our holy lives, right? Um, so he's here to talk a little bit today about particularly uh, the Supreme Court versus, I don't even know the case, um, is it the state of Oklahoma? Uh, we'll, we'll find out, but it has to do yeah, with it's... Oklahoma. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know if you can hear Adam or not right now. Sorry, Adam, because they can't see you yet. So I'm going to bring you in in just a moment. But I also wanted to say, now now you, you lost me. I wanted to say, oh, coming up later, of course, we have the grab bag, all your comments and stuff from last week, stuff from what you've sent in. We've got a cool new feature that's going to show it off. It's really pretty. So looking forward to that. So stick around for that uh, after we do this dovetail into... Uh, history of power, uh, Oklahoma issues, and more, though, because for me, I mean, it's not just about Oklahoma, and it's certainly not just about the idea of reparations. Um, it, it's uh, it's about states existing for me. But the, let's see. First, I want to figure out, though, okay, so now I've got Ecamm, this program I use that builds itself as being able to go to Skype really easily. And I've got Professor Kuntz on Skype. I don't know if you could hear him when he talked earlier. I definitely could. But now I've moved to my Ecamm thing. I'm not seeing... Anything to tell me that I am streaming what I'm streaming right here? Maybe it was this. Can you, if you can all see Professor Kuntz right now, and I know there's like a minute long delay here, but if you guys can see Professor Kuntz and hear him as he responds to me, um, would you go ahead and say to him, uh, or say say something in the comments that you can see him, that you can't say it to him? Say it in the comments so you can see him. So, uh, <laughs> Professor Kuntz, you're going to go ahead and say good morning while hopefully yeah. someone says they see you. Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, the case is McGirt versus Oklahoma. Um, and uh, if they can see me, I'll go ahead and talk about McGirt. Oklahoma, we know. Um, it started out as Indian territory, uh, which is the, the basis of the whole problem here uh, that the Supreme Court ruled on recently uh, by a 5-4 very much split decision. Okay, so I'm getting worried that they're only seeing the Skype logo. So we're going to plan two. Let's see. This will take nice. um, half a second. We're going to flip to – that's the wrong one. We'll come back to that later. We're going to flip to right here. We're going to move Skype around on my desktop, and they should be able to see you now. 
Um, Ecamm, okay. I need to look up your tutorial before I complain too loudly about you, but that was not intuitive. <laughs> the Skype logo is not helpful. Um, no. And it doesn't win Skype any points in my book. Both Professor Goose and I logged into Skype for the first time, like in the last in the last day. We logged in for the first time in a while, I imagine, based on what your comments about it were, yeah, Professor yeah, Goose. Yeah. Uh, I have I have long said n- <laughs> never Skype, right? Hashtag never Skype. No. Um, but Ecamm seems to be tied to it at the moment. And the sound's pretty good, though. Anyhow, so so let okay. me try to like segue more into this directly. So the what I heard uh, was the news that a portion, a, a large portion of Oklahoma territory slash state now uh, had been ruled to be officially Native American land. And and I didn't, I did more digging on this because I hear something like that. And I'm like, this is just like down the rabbit hole, right? I mean, Alice, where did you go? Right. Uh, To me, it seemed that way because what this did to me immediately was it said, this is my concern. And I'd love to be talked out of it, that the Supreme Court has now exercised an uncheckable jurisdiction over the states in which it can dismantle the state. And that seems pretty phenomenal to me in the United States constitutionally. Right. Maybe I'm out of the, you know, I don't know. I'm a lay guy, right, on this stuff. I, I really am a preacher of the gospel, but I am a layman yeah. politically. And so, so I don't know. So, so that okay. jumped out to me. But I dug more, and what I found is some other pieces I, I really want to have you chime in on right away because you called it Indian territory. Well, the five yeah. tribes that in theory are part of how this is expanding, that's not all Indians everywhere. That's not all Native Americans. It may not even be all Native Americans that were living in that territory at the time that people landed here because there were different groups. I don't know, right? That, that's right. what I'm, right. I'm curious about that too. And then who is, I suppose, McGirt? <laughs> like, is this just a, okay. a single person? Yeah. Okay. So let's do the history stuff first. And if you go find the opinions, uh, there's going to be a certain telling of history in Gorsuch's uh, majority opinion. Uh, but right next to it, if you're on any website worth its salt, is going to be Justice Roberts' dissent. There's another dissent from Justice Thomas, but it's a very minor disagreement about a footnote, truly, mm-hmm. uh, with Roberts. So the Roberts one is the one you want to read. And that's the only one that's going to give you the actual history on both Oklahoma, but also on Jimmy McGirt. Because I think something to notice about the way that power operates uh, is that Jimmy McGirt's actual crime which was prosecuted by the state of Oklahoma. That's the, that's the question about jurisdiction. Uh, he was prosecuted by Oklahoma for uh, sexually molesting, raping, and sodomizing a four-year-old girl, Okay, his wife's granddaughter. Yeah. And that is never even brought up in the majority opinion. Wow. But that's the original case. They, and this is the guy who wins, they, right? Right. That's the, guy, nice. that's the guy that wins. Nice. We should paint murals of him. Right. <laughs> Uh, just wait for it. I know. Um, and, and so, uh, what what he's looking for is for a is for a federal trial, which he says you have to give me because this is this is in, the right the actual legal phrase is Indian country, and huh. this is Indian country. And Gorsuch said yes, this is Indian country. So. We can go into that history okay. in a second, but that, that's who Mr. McGirt well, is. That, okay, so that gets me – I mean I want to jump right to that. Okay, cool. So I know who Mr. McGirt is. Uh, if, you ha- if you have no idea, by the way, watch Longmire. Great TV show, multiple seasons long, excellent Americana, and how we messed this place up as we colonized it. And I say we as if I was part of it. I moved here. I didn't move here. My great great grandparents moved here in the 1800s for Pete's sake. You know. Anyway, and, and not during this time. You know, well past Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, after Oklahoma. Um, so, so 
jumping immediately to the the question about uh, the federal jurisdiction and the claim that then somehow in the way that Oklahoma or the United States at some point in the past took a promise they'd made – and this I'm speculating right now based on my high school yeah. education – took a promise that we made about a reservation territory to the American Indians – as a group, right. as a whole, in a right. racist way, right. right? And then we said, well, we changed our minds. Actually, it's this. And then you got kind of Trail of Tears comes in here somewhere. Um, if that's directly yeah. connected to Trail of Tears, that's an amazing thing. And in some ways, this is such a righteous victory then. And yet, at what cost, I suppose? Battles versus war would be my concern on that one. So right. just fill me in, though. That's all speculation at that point, right? I'm okay. just, I'm just yeah, hunching. Yeah, so... so you have you have a lot of issues, and Roberts points out in his opinion that Gorsuch is extremely selective about the history. So the only history that Gorsuch really brings up is the Trail of Tears, which is a certain telling of history in which the Indians who are removed from the eastern states, mainly sort of southern Appalachia, are themselves also figured in that telling, and I went to public high school too, as pure victims, Right. Mm -hmm. I think one of the key things in how American history was taught to us is that people who are not white are always pure victims and people who are white are always pure aggressors. You never get any other parts of the story. And one of my biggest issues with how this is told is that it's not a biblical understanding of humanity, hmm. wherein every human group is susceptible right. to sin and potentially committing atrocity. So to give you an example, one of the groups that was moved from the Southeast to Oklahoma, this is all prior to the Civil War, are the Seminoles, okay? The Seminoles are not really a group prior to a certain point in history because they are a kind of reformation of various groups that then is very militarily successful hmm. against other Indians. Hmm. But they're never told that way, and certainly the Trail of Tears is not told as, well, you guys lost wars against these whites, so the whites moved you to a place where they wouldn't be fighting you anymore. It's not told that way, even though similar things happen after most human wars. So right. one of the issues here, and especially in the way that Gorsuch told the story in his opinion, is that whites are uniquely capable of everything, including evil, as opposed to all other groups who passively receive right. the and evil. This is, this is the white fragility narrative, right? That's that's right. scary, Gorsuch. <laughs> of all so people. I, that, the, the, but, so that, that, that is biblically, I think, the, the, probably the deepest issue here, and we can talk about that. But what Roberts is telling you in his opinion, and you can go find out this history for yourself, is that when these groups are moved to what is then called Indian Territory, prior to the Civil War, that's key, they are then given five areas, not yet called reservations. Uh, and so you've got, they're all Southeastern tribes. Uh, those groups then reform. And the reason Mr. McGirt has a Scottish last name is because you also have, and this is, this is, it, this is important for how you think about, okay, well, I'm an Indian in Oklahoma, so I, I'm not under the jurisdiction of the state of Oklahoma, is that these are all questions of blood. But Mr. McGirt has a Scottish last name because you do have intermarriage mm. in the southeast between the Scots-Irish settlers and Indians to some extent. Not quite the same as like Mexico, say, but but something. But there's a question of blood here that's going to have to be solved legally. They move there. They take with them their black slaves. OK, yeah. 
uh, and Roberts, Roberts reminds you that they, that they practice slavery. So one of the issues with jurisdiction is that Indian territory is largely, if not entirely, Confederate territory during the Civil War. Hmm. So in the same sense that, for instance, the government of Tennessee or the government of Louisiana was completely reconfigured in Reconstruction, similarly, the reason that Indian territory begins to be settled and then finally opened in 1890 to white settlement, you know, without hindrance, is because it is not thought of by anyone, let's be honest, at the time, as anything other than conquered Southern territory. That's, hmm. a, that's an important part of this narrative. But again, if you're thinking, okay, white people are uniquely both capable and uniquely evil, you can't really remember that there were Indians who owned slaves <laughs> and fought for the Confederacy largely as cavalry. Because it's not like that's out of Doctor Who, right? That, that's not out of reality. <laughs> In the slave owning right, 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 black right. slaves, right? Black yeah. slave owning Indians or Indian slave owning Indians or both. I don't know. Slave owning Indians who well, fought for the Confederacy and lost. And so, so yeah, the complexity. Okay. So, so I'm going to tell an analogy that anybody who doesn't want to be in an honest conversation will dismiss. So I'm just going to acknowledge that. That's fine. But if you actually care about an honest conversation, I think this really demonstrates the mathematical problem we face when we want to unwind history to repair it, <laughs> uh, to reparation on history. There's a game called Magic the Gathering I play sometimes. Haven't played for a long time, but uh, I really love it. It's kind of like chess in a card deck. I don't know how else to describe it. Chess in a card deck, and then the pieces are each uniquely tailored by some master craftsman somewhere to be its own thing. Now, some guys are really bad at their pieces and some guys are really good, but you have this manifold number of pieces in your chess deck that you're going to play against another player in a game. It's a battle of wits and a battle of math. This gets pretty heated uh, for, for nerds, right? You have these thousands and thousands of people coming together for these tournaments where people do things like cheat because they really want to win and they get caught on camera cheating and things like that. So it, it, it is kind of a pretty cutthroat reality. They have judges who monitor the floors and walk around. And if there's a, when you're at a tournament, if there is ever a question, I mean, who are you going to ask that you don't know anyone around you and the guy against you is your opponent? Your word is judge and the judge comes over, right? So you expect these judges to come and, and are and do stuff for you. So the judges know the, the, uh, the knowledge base of the cards. You can imagine with all these infinite number of cards, you have an infinite number of rules. It's a pretty ma- uh, intense thing. So the judge is a person that's respected. They come over. So if, if in the, they come over and they say, okay, this happened right now, the judge will give you a ruling. If, if you come over and say, this happened a turn ago, the judge might give you a ruling. If you come over and this ha- you say, this happened four turns ago, the judge says, we cannot rewind the game. It, it can't be rewound. There is too much complexity to undo every thought, turn, and card move and ask when you did what all the way back to that point. We will do more damage to your both your chances of winning from this point on by trying to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen in this country is we're going to try to do that, right? We're gonna, that, that's how, how foolish we are. And somewhere in this, you've picked up on the hatred for the white straight up is, is coming out in spades. And frankly, right. it is unjust. It is unjust uh, across the board. There is no reason to hate any species of human, (laughs) any ethnicity of human, any race of human, any color of human on principle. There really is not. There are cultures that are detrimental. If you want to make the case that Western colonialism was a little bit, I don't know, aggressively masculine and dumb at times, sure, fine. Let's set some new policy. But 
But to say that somehow we're going to go back and fix this thing by tweeting about it at each other over the you – know, I. Yeah. Uh, so I get more and more scared. You know, Oklahoma, what of it? But like, again, yeah. big deal. Let's see if we can draw it back to Oklahoma. I went off on a tirade. You pick what no, you think is important. Well, I okay. So I, I think that one of the things that's coming back to bite us is not only the inadequacy of our education, right? So you know Trail of Tears, but you don't know about you know Indian military history, right? Uh, before and after white settlement. Um. In addition to that, unless you watched, yeah, uh, sorry, sorry, unless you watched, what was yeah. the what was the Gibson movie? No one liked because it was about that. Um, oh, Apocalypto. Apocalypto. Oof. Yeah. Right. Oof. <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah. Um, in addition to the inadequacy of how we think about history, I think there's also uh, what I was talking about a little bit earlier is the the unbiblical way that we think about America. That is. We have been taught, and, and this had a totally different spin on it uh, in, say, the 90s, hmm. or when they were trying to get us to support going into Iraq, than it does now. But we continue to think about America as a completely historically unique place. Hmm. Hmm. So at this point, with like 1619 Project with, New York, with the New York Times, it's now that American whites are uniquely evil. But it's always been about America is uniquely something, right? It is a city set on a hill, right? And that goes all the way back to John Winthrop and the settlement of Massachusetts. The argument that but, we have been Puritans from the start and we are Puritans still, we just have exchanged yeah. our gods is is easy to make, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I, the, the difficulty with that is that it does not enable you to learn anything from anyone else's history. That's right. Uh, it also... It also makes every political conflict, whether it included violence or not, right? So whether it was wars between Creeks and Scots-Irish in, you know, North Carolina and Tennessee or whatever, you, there, there is no way to do this except without religious levels of commitment and also destruction. So in the same way that I think about my sin, like I long for my sin to be destroyed, right? right and I know right. it's not going to happen until the resurrection, but I want it now. If you name a group of people as uniquely the problem in an area, right. what else is going to happen to them other than trying to destroy them? Yeah, or themselves, so, trying to destroy themselves, right. which we're watching both. Right. Yeah, that's exactly and it's and I would I want to add that one of my biggest concerns is not to help black lives because the number of black lives lost in the last couple of weeks in American cities is beyond doubling at this point. It's it's insane the amount of black on black violence that is going on, right. and the calls from that community for Black Lives Matter to come and help. No organization showing up to help. So you'll forgive me if as a white man, while I may not have the right to, say, opinionate on the thing, it's hard to comprehend why you think this is helping your community on that side, while I also can't comprehend why my community wants to commit institutional suicide, um, which is going to be, I think, uh, bad for human rights. If if the U.S. and the white man are uniquely evil at a lot of things, what we did in the midst of it was we learned how to not kill each other by having a rule about human rights. So I don't think we're uniquely evil. I think we're all the same evil. 
you, the white man just had a certain level of power sooner than anybody else happened to. And the fact that he has white had nothing to do with it. It was a matter of, I'll just even quote a book I don't even agree with, Guns, Germs, and Steel, though. I agree with the title. <laughs> I totally agree yeah. with the title. So you yeah. know, that's just what happened. Here we are. We're all the same species. If aliens show up right now, you know how easy we are to knock over? Hello. Conquered slaves we are, Yoda. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where it's like, we do not need to rewind this thing. But it's going to be around in front of our eyes. So then I can tangent so many places here, Adam. More and more, I see the, the role of the church and the Christian even then as the monasteries were in the Dark Ages in the, um, the, the attempt to save information. As they're tearing down statues, dear heavens, any book you have about anything beyond 1960 is kind of important at this point. Right. Uh, you know, I yeah. don't know. Am, am, I, am I overreaching again? No, I, I think because you're going to have this, you're going to have a role as the church, as a place where the truth about humanity, whether it's white or black or red or yellow or whatever color or whatever, uh, is actually taught. Okay, and that is a role that the church has had in a bunch of different historical situations. So again, if you are an American Christian and you're watching this, you're listening to this, please don't think of your situation as unique. Uh, this that's actually much more hopeful if you yeah. stop thinking this is uniquely evil because you've never dealt with it or the American church has never dealt with that specific problem. And the moment but you think it's the, unique, the moment you yeah. think it's unique, you're the victim. You've become a victim. You've allowed their philosophy to win, too. If it's unique suffering to you yeah. alone, then there's nothing you can do about it. Now you're one of them. That's how fascism works. Right. Keep going right where you were, Adam. Keep going where you were. Yeah, um, so— you're, you're not unique. People have dealt with this before. They've dealt with it in recent history. Uh, you can think about how did the church survive under assorted communist regimes in lots of places. Um, if you're thinking about, well, what does it sound like right before people begin killing each other in large groups? Go look at how the Hutus were talking about the Tutsis in Rwanda no. before 1993. Um, so that was, again, a case of there's a lot of historical resentment there because the Tutsis were favored under colonialism and the Hutus were disadvantaged. So it's not like this stuff hasn't ever happened before. And that, to me, is one of the things that I don't really have any hope that our uh, state apparatus, the judiciary, the rest of it, is going to recognize that. No. Because the narrative that America is unique, either uniquely capable, that's kind of GOP at this point, or uniquely evil, that's kind of Democrat Party at this point, uh, that narrative is far too deeply baked, I think, into American politics for it to work. But in the church, we know better. Baked is the right word. Uh, drunk with the world. Drunk with the world is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's so right. easy. This week, I was so pulled into it in my own head for at least a, a, a period. It had to do, again, with a Supreme Court case. Uh, now, now I'm going to memorize it as I read back to you. What you've taught me, uh, Margaret versus Oklahoma, where Margaret McGirt, it's McGirt, right? McGirt, yeah. where McGirt wins this thing. And so kind of coming back to what you were just saying, though, to, to tie the knot on it a little bit. Yeah, sure. um, we got nine kings, queens, nine royalty, who, uh, when they have a union between them, nine houses, as it were, when they have a union between them, are irrevocable in this land. But as much as I realized that, I guess, with new bravado uh, yesterday, as I, as I learned about the Oklahoma stuff, um, I also realized that, by and large, their decisions have no impact on me, yet, at least. Mm -hmm. By and large, there are some that do, but but 
mostly what impacts me is what my sheriff has decided to let impact me and what my mayor has decided to do. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Th- those things are so much more important, but, but that doesn't mean, so for me to realize I, I live in a, in a weird Imperial conglomerate federation of nine people who finally stopped the shouting just by deciding. And then it's never going to turn back again. This like Roman dogma almost. Right. Um, that that's where I live, but that, that only, that, that only really matters if everyone where I live wants to also do it. Right. right. I mean, it's, right. I, I think that's how small government was supposed to work. We're kind of forced to it now a little bit. People are surprised uh, sometimes when they read the Constitution and not only the nature of the Supreme Court, but also the fact that it basically gets a veto on everything that occurs in the United States is not in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that it was not designed this way. And uh, if you're interested in this, go look up Marbury versus Madison. That establishes the principle of judicial review that, that whereby they gave themselves the power to right. review anything that went on. And I, the reason that we. Uh, talk let me about just translate it, though. Yeah, Keep going. Right. I'm going to translate the principle of judicial review is the made up power of making up powers. It's awesome. Yeah. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be, it would be great, right? It would be great. Uh, the reason to know these things is, uh, there's at least two, two reasons to know this is one, your conscience doesn't have to be troubled by the fact that you disagree with what's going on. Right. That could be a very godly thing and a good thing. And that is the spring that's going to well up into wonderful things in the future as you fight the good fight. The other reason to know these things is because like you were saying with sheriffs, mayors, county government, also state government, depending on your state, Mm -hmm. you have hope for resistance to things that are obviously tyrannical or ungodly. Right, right. And what about this idea that that Lutherans shouldn't speak about such things now, right? Like at a certain point, like you're either moving to another nation or you're talking about this stuff. (laughs) Right? right? The history was we moved. Okay, where are you going to go now? Mars? Not yet. Uh, uh, and, and oh, God, there, there's a lot of places I want to go on that. Again, back. And my note cards, you got me thinking about uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I, I just finished Supernova in the East, number four in the series. I don't know how many he's got planned, but he's at least going to do five, and it sounds like six. This is all World War II from Japan's point of view. Oh my gosh. And you want to talk about the evil of mankind. Let me read the note that I wrote down. I, I, I can't even believe it. I, and, and excuse my language online here, but this is biblical language and I'm using it biblically here. What the hell kind of evil came out of both Japan and Germany at the same time? Not tied to each other. Whatever we think Hitler was, there was no guy in Japan doing this, but they were communally Holocaust. I mean, it, everyone they conquered, they cut off heads. Stripped bodies, left them. This is like like beyond medieval barbaric, unbelievably. And just listen to it. And then I'm gonna. I want to learn so much more. The next uh, you know, uh, advertisement for Carlin here, uh, episode five, whenever it comes out, which will probably be a year from now, um, is going to be about Australia at Kakoda Trail, which I'd never heard about. But apparently, like if you live in Australia, this is Revolutionary War level kind of stuff. And uh, um, so uh, we have we have you out in us the chill in Australia. Um, Gal, you, you want to pick up that episode of Dan Carlin when it comes out because it's going to be your own history. Our own history in the matter is quite interesting that the, the McCarthy uh, era uh, and all that kind of stuff. But the the point 
that brings it into our conversation is the sure. the idea that there's a unique evil to white men, particularly, is yeah, a uniquely or, or evil the, teaching. Or the Germans or the Japanese. It's a uniquely evil teaching, too. right? Right. That yeah. all of us are capable of it, and every society. I'm going to say it differently. The, if the history of the Bible is going to teach us something, it's that every generation, in every era, in every place, you see some need for good men to resist it. That you will have evil men try to use power to make up power to control, and they will do evil. And if good men do not resist, then evil is all that will be done. And Christianity no is not here to say, well, sit in your haunches and watch. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or, or you know, I—, I one of the most disappointing things to me that I've seen in the church in, in recent months is wholesale acceptance of what they are told to think and how they are told to think. But we have seen it before, because if you, you know, right now it is white people in World War II. I mean, think about the number of people in the United States who would have actually known anyone who was Japanese outside, you know, California and Hawaii, there's insignificant Japanese population, but we were told uh, we were propagandized into hating them and despising them overnight. And we we burned their children alive with nuclear weapons. We did uniquely do that. Right. We right. uniquely dropped nuclear weapons right. on them. And that that is not part of the narrative about, you know, quote, the good war. Right? No. So um, I, I, th I think that one of the worst things that a Christian can do is to not know history even worse than that is when he takes the history that he has been fed and does not think about it biblically. Because when you think about Isaiah, for instance, the Lord is using Cyrus to accomplish mighty purposes, but the Lord and the prophet do not therefore start lying about how wonderful Cyrus is. They don't tell you why. And Cyrus was such a wonderful man and he played with kittens and babies when he wasn't, you know, killing people. Trash. His name was Chirash. That's his real name. It's Chirash. Hey, I'm Chirash. I kill people. He was a great king. Anyway, that's that's more Dan Carlin. Great kings are evil men. Uh, I I don't know which political commentator or which tweet I saw this on recently, but you know we don't have statues of people up because they were good all the time. Like no statue is there because that guy was just sweet and awesome the way that like our stars on TV pretend to be. Okay. But right. in, in yeah. the real world, all of us have error at the very least, significant error, the need to learn. I saw a marvelous video from a leftist source. I'm so thankful for this video, uh, Deep TV or something like that. Um, Tim Ferriss retweeted it of this lady, uh, marvelous, marvelously just, and, and with such lucidity, declaring the need for free speech, even if you, you think that speech is wrong. And uh, to, to have that freedom kind of uh, understood again, though, we're awash in the white noise of having it all shut off. That I, I don't know if I even finished my sentence, but it brought me to the question that I wrote down I won't keep trying to get back to, which is, I mean, yeah. how much does the Christian need to turn the TV off at a certain point? Uh, uh, how much yeah. are the words going in making us unable to think with the Bible's words straight up? They're just out, out shouting the Bible's words. Uh, they are they are totally drowning out the Bible's words. So um, I would say that if you're checking your phone right away, um, and then you're checking your phone again and again and again and again, you're not actually getting to the Bible reading. Like I would say at this point for the church to survive, if you're not setting alarms on your phone so that you read your Bible hmm. for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, uh, we're not going to make it. 
because we will not, if you know, you, you need to ask for wisdom. This is a trial. Blessed is the man who is steadfast under trial. You have to ask for wisdom. The Father wants to give it to you, and it's in Scripture. <laughs> so if you know those things, then you will have it. If you never bother to read and you're still on Twitter and you're still on Facebook, I don't really care if you agree with me. That's fine or not about history, Oklahoma, the Southeast, whatever. But if you don't read the Bible, even if you do agree with me, you will be of little value to our cause because you won't have the wisdom that's from on high. Yeah. And, and that's what we're looking for. Yeah. It'll make you a coward, too. I mean, and, and I say that I say that as one repentant. I mean, for pity's sakes, aren't we all? But to not right. have the scriptures be your mind is to live in fear of man. Straight up. You're going to be a coward. And to have the scriptures be your mind is to live in fear of God, which will make you a coward to no man. Straight up. Like Jesus was not a respecter of persons, nor Paul. And Paul says, imitate me as if it right. were possible. And was that narcissism? It is a light thing to me, whether I am judged by you or any human court or the New York Times or Quillette or anything. It is a light right. thing to me, says Paul. You know? Right. Right. Here's not a light thing. Here's the question. I'm going to ask you this question again when we when we turn this into a podcast, which this this will be SMC podcast, and we got to move on with SMC content this morning. Um, but uh, and thank you for your time. But I want to, I want to end with yeah. This idea that we're going to take up right away, and I want to re-ask the same question to start the official podcast off on this foot. This comes out of Carlin again. I'm, I'm an avid Dan Carlin Hardcore History list, listener. I, you know, it's my bedtime lullaby every single night, five minutes at a time, and then over. <laughs> I know. So I just he, – he woos me, but his – the way he approaches history is not only so tactful and so filled with multiple perspectives of the event, but it's filled with such story. In any case, um, there was a point he was making about Hitler – which, of course, is, you know, Hitler is an inflammatory name. But I think this right. is very important that Hitler, Churchill was afraid that, and Hitler sort of implied that. And again, I'm reading between the lines and paraphrasing Carlin's point as a, as a not a historian. Neither of us are, apparently. Um, Hitler didn't care if he lost because if the British Empire had to become fascist, in order to beat him, then he would win. To beat me, you must become me. Star Wars is all about this, by the way. Um, okay. So if, if Britannia died with World War II under Hitler, and not really with 1776 over the American power rising, which I think history can make that case quite yeah. cleanly, um, then the U.S. dynasty began at Midway which is fascinating. I didn't even know about Midway except the name. What a great, amazing, and terrifying thing. Um, so uh, that's where I want to go with the history of power, and then we're going to tie it to one more thing, though, because you say we got to understand the guard and understand any of it, so I'm not going to leave that off the table in this opening question. But if Hitler says, to beat me, you must become me, I'm saying, I'm looking around, I'm saying, holy crap, he won. And someone's going to get killed next as a group of people, because fascism's alive. Hard. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I tend to think that Stalin won World War II. Okay, so communism versus fascism. Yeah. So um, the difference between communism and fascism we can talk about, but I tend to think that Stalin won because um, Stalin not only achieved what he wanted to achieve, uh, he also did not destroy his own governmental process um, in in doing it. 
Um, the Soviet Union was still itself when World War II ended, even though it had suffered major devastation. Whereas the Western powers enormously increased their state apparatus, their military apparatus, their security apparatus. And I do not think we are the same country that we were before World War II. No, no, no. Not even close. But do you um, think, it, yeah. my suggestion is that Britain particularly, that we are still the British Empire as a uh, kind of a bastard son. Okay. Britain, Brit, yeah, Britain, Britain, as well as France, lost confidence in itself in World War II. As did Japan. That is why. <laughs> yes, and that is why they everywhere resigned from uh, the situations that they had gotten themselves into throughout the world, even in cases where the British population in that place wanted to keep the thing going, such as Rhodesia. The British government itself said, we're going to have no parts of this. Uh, Amer- the American empire has been a different kind of a beast since then. And I think that itself is now passing away. I think um, you can but, see, yeah. uh, just to, to kind of stick with it, though, I, I think you can yeah. see that Britain's move is more toward fascism than communism, though, as a, as a state. That as as the monarchy, particularly as weekend, but also the House of Lords and really the entire government and then UN issues, you would you think is that's communism, not fascism? That that we see emerging the the police state, the big the nanny state, the nineteen eighty four stuff that's just kind of like on the street, exactly how they live. Right, right. So nineteen eighty four, I know, was supposed to be a story about fascism, but I think the overarching category, and this relates in the history of power to how uh, technology and ideas interplay with each other. The thing that's bigger than fascism or communism as ideologies is the notion of control. Hmm. So that's why 1984, I think, is helpful. But that's also why I think Brave New World was actually more right about what would happen in Western democracies, which is that you would be controlled, but uh, it generally would not be so obvious. It would be by means of pleasure. Right. So uh, why are people not more better informed about their own history and why do they not take action at the local level in the United States? It is because they have been pleasantly preoccupied right. for a very long time. Right. So now that they're going to have to pay attention to stuff because the NFL and the NBA will force them to say Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter okay. in order to watch and enjoy. Uh, now that that will happen, now they will have to think about it. Previously, they've been taking what Huxley calls in in Brave New World Soma. They've been fed with Soma. They've been fat. They've been happy. I think that, that when they get the Soma back, they won't think about it. They'll be so happy right. for the Soma that it won't right. matter what logos of Marxist organizations that want to tear down not just you know you but right. the system, which is key for the country. Um, that's what right. they're saying with their words when they describe their own words. Um, so I think people are just going to swallow that, and it doesn't mean they're going to yep. they're going to round up any particular race, the most hated one at the moment, seeming to be white, um, at any given time n- next week. However, individually, you're going to find I think if you're white, your your rights are not going to be what they were. Uh, the story out of St. Louis about this I don't know this family, you know, uh, you know Shapiro's making hay of them. Uh, that they, they, there was an armed mob that walked by their house somewhere in, I don't know, the pair. I don't know where it is. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Yeah, and they yeah, like yeah. stood there and they had pictures and it was like, you know, the, everyone made fun of it for a while. Okay. Well, so they just, they just had the city like sue them. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of insane. Were they really acting safely? No. Did they have good gun control uh, understanding? No. Muzzle, muzzle control understanding? No. Um, but they didn't do anything illegal. 
really, from what I could see. Yeah. Uh, it, you yeah. know, were they foolish? Probably. I would have. I would have hid. You know, um, left, get my car and drive away. Uh, but whatever. Um, that is, your rights are just not there if you're on the wrong side of a certain type of history. And that's, again, I'm still going to say, you haven't convinced me, Adam, that it's not fascism, that it's communism and not fascism. And I, I know this debate happens. Are they different, I suppose, is a question I should ask now um, for myself a little bit. But, you know, clearly Stalin, communism, and, and uh, uh, Hitler, fascism, were, were at odds with each other. Um, sure. They both have ties to Marx, though. It's Marxism, right? I mean, is it, or is is fascism completely distinct from Marxism? Doesn't Marx fascism influence fascism? Is, okay, uh, they they are they are often related, and in the case of like Mussolini, which is where the term comes from, that's from Italy, not from Germany. Uh, a lot of a lot of the people that came to found the fascist party in I think 1921, uh, including Mussolini, are former uh, hard leftists before then. So it's easy to flip. However, uh, the difference is that Marx has a pretense of science about how he says things, how he formulates things. He has, he has an eschatology. Fascism in either Germany or Italy did not have an eschatology. Hmm. It did not say this is exactly how history will work out. So the stuff that we deal with, in the United States right now, really throughout the West right now, has an eschatology. Yeah. It has an original sin. Um, it, it, is, yeah. it is Marxist. It is not in that way fascist. It may resemble fascist countries in controlling populations, in, uh, in, in racial hatred uh, weaponized by the state. Uh, but I think it is Marxist. And uh, any communist country generally did that, too. There were uh, biological components to Soviet communism uh, that most people don't know about. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think we're dealing with Marxism, which is something other than fascism. Yeah. You, you sparked then. And I'm still trying to understand the differences as much as I can, because the end effect is largely the same. It's a dictator trying to get everyone to sit in a line and face the same way, which is what the word fasci means. Right. right? So that's why I struggle to see the difference. Um, it, it, you spark, though, again. So then. If you think about, again, this all prelude to a history of power, um, the, 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 the line or the, the tide knot between power and confidence, I don't think you have to have power to be confident, but you have to be empowered no, to no. be confident, right? So mm -hmm. to have confidence yeah, in right. your weakness, there must be another power you know of that's different than, than power. And that, that's biblical right. stuff, right? Um, but right. to think of nations of, as peoples of confidence, a group of humans – united by a confidence in something, whether that be their race or otherwise. And the history of tribes and nations arises racially because it arises out of families, for Pete's sake. I mean, you know, it comes out of your, your uncle and then your third uncle and all this stuff. Um, so if you just ask the question right now, you know, who are the confident powers in the world today? Uh, you have the U.S., you have China, uh, you have um, uh, Russia, strangely still hitting way above its weight class um which mm -hmm. speaking of stalin and uh, did, did you miss this one that putin won re-election to 2035 how fun is that <laughs> how fun is that uh that's just right. just a little while i need some time to work this out guys just give me give me a leash right you know in any case um there's still a there's still a communist power both china and russia are communist 
officially and intentionally so. And if anything we need to wake up from in this country is to recognize that moving the entire manufacture base of the world to a communist country is a bad idea, straight up if you know communism, and secondarily if you don't want to be communist yourself. It's just you're going to – they're going to hold it over you at a certain point. So you're selling the future yeah. for cheap goods now. And we've we've known this, I think. But to, you know, uh, Wuhan puts it in real perspective for me uh, right. at least. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the attack on America – this is still my comment about confidence – right now is yeah. not an attempt to beat us with arms into not being confident. It just wants us to cease being confident straight up. Like you have no right to be confident that uh, that the original sin of your civilization is so great uh, that there is no saving it. But for again, they they say reparations. They say oh, here's my favorite one, Adam. They're all my favorite. So I hear someone. I don't know if it was the mayor. I think it was the mayor. Um, but someone in New York City talking about um, you know the removing of the the defunding of the police, removing all those funds, yeah. and someone's asking right. you know where where is it going to go? Where who's going to help us now? Where's the money going to go? The answer was youth programs, and my mind thought Hitler yeah. immediately because the guy knew what he was doing, and the Hitler Youth is a story in my understanding. That's like how they like got everyone to think the same way, and I can't help but remember the Black Panthers as well, and seeing recent pictures of Black Panthers wearing Antifa garb, and go whoa, mm -hmm. whoa indeed. Um, all of that really makes me say what I said yesterday to myself. I can't even believe the news anymore. I can't even believe it. Totally, totally agreed. I think, I think something that is, um, not being talked about as much as it should be is that deindustrialization, that is the removal of actual productive capacity from the United States has been going on, uh, for 40 or 50 years. And uh, so when we're talking about power in the United States, or we talk about it this way in the church, too, because all BLM discussion inside and outside the Missouri Synod has been about positions of power. I'm still waiting for someone to demand to be uh, the missionary to Alaska, the missionary to the state of Maine, to New Mexico that we need, the missionary to Salvadorans in Los Angeles that mm -hmm. we're looking for. Mm -hmm. No one is demanding that. Everyone wants money. They mm. want positions of power. Yep. They want positions of influence inside and outside the church. OK, the problem is that both the state and the church have been in financial and demographic decline for 40 years. Due to at least due to tie the knot. There, there's a reason for that. Don't let's yeah, not hide it. I mean, there, if you're not procreation, you will eventually be uncreated. Yeah. 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 I'll, put, I'll yeah. put the stamp on it. Pro-life means not just don't kill the babies. It means have some. And we didn't. Right. <laughs> and we didn't. We had a few. So, And here we are, right. we shrinking. Had, we had a couple. Straight up. Uh, and and this isn't like, hold yeah. on. Someone's uh, going to take this in the LCMS and be like, oh, you're saying women have to be barefoot and pregnant. Women are stupid. Right. Whatever. You go die with everybody else. We're going to try to live well and believe that women are amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And that's part of that amazingness is that they're mothers. Because we have this thing called Mother's Day that we should celebrate. And that mothering happens when they give birth to children. And that giving birth to more than two is shown to be good for your civilization. Giving birth to two or less is shown to be quite terrible for your civilization. And we've been doing okay. number two. So back to you, Adam. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I no, let, can't let, let it mean, pass. Let's also stop pretending like life happens outside the home. Right. Like the point right. of life is the money or the vacation or the job you hate. Life happens in the home. That is not peripheral. That's central. You don't have a healthy church or a healthy state without a healthy home. 
That's the foundation of everything. That's the non-optional component of human community. Which is and why... it is no shock to me... You're great. It's, it's no shock to me that uh, a nation that is full of people that have never been married, that are miserable, that have chosen not to have children, that have mothers but no fathers, it is no shock to me that a nation like that is killing each other or themselves. No shock whatsoever. We have chosen a way which is totally contrary to God's way of human community yeah. for white, for black, for everybody. And then we are shocked that it's falling apart. Yeah. We, we should not. We teach them all to be monkeys. And then we wonder why they kill each other and just care about what they feel. I, I mean, yeah, it, that's yeah. what it came down to. At the end of the day. And this was said way back during those who made these scopes monkey trials? Was the Supreme Court running the country back then too? Was it always the Supreme Court moving us in this direction? Um, Adam, this has been really great. There's more of this coming in a longer format as we start working on uh, a history of white power in a couple of weeks here. I know you had uh, something coming up this week that, that makes it so it'll be at least two weeks away, but it'll it'll get in the, the hopper eventually. And we're just going to follow this and we'll let Ezekiel come in and out when Ezekiel comes in and out. Um, uh, but the idea, because I, I think a lot of the biblical theology that you introduced is what we need to start clinging to as symbolic realities in the present and yeah. kingdom being not least of these, certainly. The idea right. that, that we are citizens of a kingdom, that we have a reigning king, that he is certain and in control, and there's nothing that happens outside his jurisdiction, stiction, including Supreme Court decisions. Um, so to look at history and the history of power with you through that lens, I really look forward to that. Thank you for yep, being with be us good. here today. We're going to take a, a, a three-minute break or so here, if I can find my mouse. There it is. Uh, and we will be back. <laughs> One of these days I'll get it. One of these days I'll get it. Uh, so it's good to be back. we got another hour or more here this morning. Definitely going to be taking your questions and comments and pulling out some stuff from uh, your comments right away uh, as I was looking. So here, here's kind of the thing, Annabelle. Uh, she says, Great Britain is democratic, not fascist. We have always seen the U.S. as fascist, meaning that you have no Social Security or free health care for all. I don't know enough about uh, your um, about Britain and your healthcare system and all that to respond, but the gist of my comment and the gist of Carlin's point uh, is that fascism is about controlling the people, frankly. And I'm going to come to another comment. You know, why can't it be both fascism and communism? All I've learned about fascism, and it's hard to learn about because people keep using the word to mean different things. Communism is the same way. Socialism is the same way. And I think that's all obfuscation on purpose to get more people to buy into it and not be afraid of the words so that it's demonic lies can be taught. Yeah. With all that being said, fascism is about controlling the people. Communism, I think, in theory, might, might be something different. I don't know. And that's what I'm struggling to understand myself. But to see then that Britain, in order to become the country that was able to withstand and beat Germany, just enduring as they did, and turning to Churchill as they did, and I think Churchill's a hero in a lot of ways, um, nonetheless had to adopt certain social policies that are similar unto a fascist state and has led to uh, Britain's decline in emphasis, right? It's, its influence in the world, certainly as Britannia, is, is much diminished. Uh, as a Western thought or Western man even being a good thing is is under significant attack. So where in any of this has Germany not actually, and I say Germany, I should say Hitler, um, where is Hitler's fascism not actually won in taking away the England that existed prior to World War II and putting in its place something a lot more like 
what the uh, the German system of government looked like under fascism. Go look at what what the society actually ran like and how how things like the church were used. I mean, it's, it's really really similar. Um, so that's that's what I'm getting at. But these these things are um, they're nuanced. This is why you can't do it on Twitter. They're nuanced. They're complicated. Britannia, the, the empire of England on which the sun never set, should we, should we scourge it to the ground and erase its memory from the world, including everything that could be learned from its mistakes? See, and, and that's, that seems to be what, what the general zeitgeist is right now. The spirit of the times, the time goes, he just wants you to bleed your understanding away into the soft, glowing, blue, warm soma of the present age. It'll tell you about how the future will be better. If only you, if only you and someone wrote a book about if only we just then you might pay attention to that thought more often. I'm talking to myself when I say it. Okay. So here we go. We're going to do some, some, uh, I have, I have one more from you. Sorry. Sorry. I went off on this already. I said it, but you're right, Rebecca. So that was largely in response to your comment here. You know, why can't this be a mixture of fascism and communism? I, I, what are they? What is fascism? What is communism? Find two people to agree on what those things actually mean. And uh, and then maybe we could have a conversation about how they're both the same thing. That's why I tried to jump back to the term Marxism. Maybe it's all Hegel. I wrote down the name Hegel uh, in that conversation with Kuntz, but I refrained from interrupting him yet another time to ask about how maybe this is all a Hegelian reaction to the deposing of kings with the Magna Carta. I, you know, and we just haven't hit the other end of the, of the parabola yet. And if you don't know, you know, historical science, that all was kind of Greek. Um, um, but but you know maybe that's what's going on. Um, it's hard to know which system is really the system. What's clear is that this is true. Every single man is evil enough. Me too. Me too. That when I get in charge of the system, the temptation shall come to use it for my own good. And that won't be like, ooh, I'm going to go be evil with my own good. It's more like there's a threat, and who do I defend most? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we do, right? All men are, are inclined to that. And what it leads to is mob destruction. Mob destruction, that in order to protect me individually from the mob, I joined the mob, right? And that this leads to then really brutal things as at the forefront of the mob, in order to show how you're one of them, you will do extreme acts. And again, this is what happened on the front lines between Australia, the U.S., Britain, and others in the Philippines and other places during World War II against a, at that time, Japanese culture that was suicidally, and yes, um, like, like, viciously, suicidally, uh, bloodthirsty. There's no other way to describe it. And so, uh, Dr. Kuntz, uh, mentioned, you know, the, uh, um, the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima, uh, which if you've never read those books, then you didn't have an American education. Um, or American education has gotten even worse. I mean, I would hope we would still keep keep track of that. Uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, the two atomic bombs that were dropped were certainly some of the more grossly destructive things humanity's ever ever managed to conceive of doing, let alone do what um I, I'm looking forward to whenever Carlin finishes Supernova in the East and, and gets to that, because I'm sure that's what it's building to, and it's why he's you know he's put off doing this story for so long, I think, is because it's just it's the magnum opus of, of history. Like how do you talk about Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki uh in context? And that's what he's trying to do. And and he's done such a good job of showing that if you or anybody who was not Japan in that war, by the time you had to choose between sending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of your young men to die by decapitation and um, sadistic torture um, 
in order to, to get them to finally stop, because you were going to win by force of industrial arms, which, by the way, China taking all our industry, now we don't have the power we used to win World War II. Just keep that in mind, too. Um, uh, it, the fact that they had done this to China <laughs> and, and had done this without count, I mean, the history on how many how many Chinese were, were murdered, there's a reason why that bomb was dropped. There's a reason why China might not really like Japan. <laughs> it's only that's only less than hundred years ago, right? I, their cultural memory might might remember that quite a bit more, and that, that's a terrifying thing too. Um, it's just all so complex, right? So, so what do you call it? You call it you call it original sin. That's what you call it. At the end of the day, you want to find a word that's higher up than fascism, communism, Marxism, Hegelianism. You got to go to original sin. That's why we'll be starting with uh, talking about. Uh, the garden in context with the history of power in the U.S. for the sake of we Christians who live here in the U.S. There was a super chat that came through. I want to make sure I give you your due. The law of super chat must be obeyed. Sarah says, uh, such good stuff. Keep it going. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate super chats as always. All right. So we're going to jump as swiftly as possible over to your comments and questions with the grab bag. We're going to do it like this. Oh, I've missed the paper. I have a paper. Let's see. What shall we do? I don't even know. I can show you what I wrote. The problem is they're not numbered A, B, and whatever on here. But look at this beautiful little panoply of awesome that's been placed here along with a super chat from Ardith. Thank you. Ardith says, thank you so much for having Rev Kunst today. Great conversation. It was. It was. Timely. I'm grateful for it myself. Um, uh, ba ba Look at all these lovely place questions from you. Let's see. What shall we do? Random indeed. And here we go. That'll be the trick is if they're covered then I can't see him. We have to go in order. Oh, that's so disappointing to me. I'll figure out a way around that eventually. So we're going to start with a question from Hugh, who says this. That worked out pretty well, though. Frisbee the hand. Thank you very much. Uh, equality, he says. All have sinned and fall short of God's expectation. Justice. All men die and are accountable for their sin. Reconciliation. Jesus Christ has taken on himself the penalty for our sin in our place and makes us right with God. This is the law and gospel message the church must preach to the world. The Marxist salvation from oppressors' social gospel is heresy. Phew. Yeah, uh, I don't got much to disagree with in that. Uh, the idea of reconciliation being narrowly defined as atonement, I think I would call that atonement, and leave reconciliation for the right with God part, right? So atonement achieves reconciliation. That's really quibbling, right? I'm, I'm, I am, I'm getting, I'm getting hoity-toity with my theology when I start talking like that, right? Um, so, but, but the content of what you're saying here is just absolutely true and needs to be preached. It's been in my mind. I, I really don't know how to guard against this other than you, us, the chill guarding me against this. And I ask you to be tender and kind because I'm just a poor young lad. Um, but, you know, how do I uh, dumpster dive for Jesus, to use Chris Roseborough's words? He's doing it in, in – in, and I don't know how he does it. You know, he does it in the world of um, uh, uh, church growthism and really fascism. Most of what I know from fascism I learned from Chris um, – fascism coming through church growthism into the church and exposing what that has done to the preaching, the lack of these words that you're, you're dealing with here because of uh, the preaching of church growth tactics instead. Um, uh, if I'm going to dumpster dive into the history of power Americana, which I already am anyway, I've, I have a fascination with meta narrative as part of my bardic 
powers, right? I just, I just desire to see the big story and hear the epic told. And I know that history doesn't have a nice round ending and not every couplet rhymes, um, but I care a lot about it. And we live in some of the most extremely fascinating times I could possibly imagine. I, as a student of history, I got to say, the curse, may you live in interesting times, has come tenfold upon us, right? Uh, so, so all the more is my fear that I would tell that story more than this story, right? That somehow in this mad Christian mix, I would fail to get you back to the text. You know, that conversation with Kuntz was so valuable and was filled with the word of God. And we should say nothing less than that it was, again, filled with the word of God, resounding between us, brothers instructing brothers and encouraging brothers in the stand to be faithful to what scripture says. But it does not supplant scripture and does not take away the need for us individually to be filled with that scripture, to have that oratio moment every day. Did you catch that point where Pastor Kuntz talked about how setting your alarm on your phone might be something you want to do in order to, what? Pray? Say the creed? Read a scripture verse? Can you remember? Is it because you don't want to? The, the, the resistance with which, the praying, the authentic praying of a psalm, the resistance with which it meets you when you attempt to do that is nothing shy of diabolical. We have all commonly experienced this. Anecdotally, you know that when you try to read your Bible, it hurts. It's weird. You're like, ah, oh, I can't touch it. Yeah, that's your flesh. There's a whole part of you that's the whole of you that is unredeemed and will be damned. But, of course, you are then the whole of you redeemed and saved in Christ. There's a whole essential essential nature of you, flawed and corrupted as it is, that will remain disjointed, broken, bent, concupiscent is what all that means, uh, uh, evil-oriented until the day of resurrection. So you know that inside of you, no matter what, is this first thing that you have here, that that we have all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the expectations of God. We are not as he designed us to be. And we are equally that. We are all equally rebels. We are equally cast out of the garden. We are equally dealing with thorns, thistles, and the murder of our brothers over our antagonism, over things that frankly are our justification. Mm, It's all there for us to own. To, to, to truly, with extreme ownership, say, this is my person. And it would that, that more white fragility guilt people could have the common confession of sin because I think they would be a little less willing to scream in rage at black people about how racist the black people are because they're not listening to the white people say how racist the white people are. Um, and I've seen videos of that, which is a pretty strange, strange, surreal and disorienting thing to see. Right. So the equality of our sinful condition, the justice, right, the justice that all men are then dying because of this. It's so evident. It's so clear that God is not happy with our planet. If there is a God, he's a jerk, they say. Or maybe you are, would be my response, right? And maybe you are, and I am, and we all are, and that's why he's putting us to death. Do you think twice about swatting a mosquito? So why would a holy and righteous God think for even half a moment, half a moment about swatting a demon? Okay, well, he has. He's withheld his head from hand from swatting the demons. Why? Because he's withheld his hand from swatting you. Why? Sheer, strict, mercy, and love. That's it. 
just he's just ultimately good. He made you. He wants you. He's going to keep you. That's it. Jesus is what, what this is all about. All men die as the punishment, the reconciliation in Christ that you confess so well, the atonement, the, the transaction price, the exchange. Remember, uh, can you watch a movie with the white guy as the hero ever again? Remember Han Solo? No, he's not Han Solo. Harrison Ford, right? Remember Indiana Jones as he's got the monkey statue of gold and he's got the, uh, the, the, the bag of sand and he doesn't want to get crushed by the boulder and he's got to decide how shall I balance the equation and atonement. That's atonement. Atonement. That is what Jesus does on the cross. And then the result is the reconciliation, the bringing together of two things. So our atonement exchanged. We left one behind. Jesus was left behind to die in the pit of hell. It could not contain him, thank God. That paid for, though, not the resurrection, but the pit of hell being left to die paid for the reconciliation, the bringing back together of mankind and God in Christ himself and in Christ alone. So his resurrection shows this achieved completely. And his words declare that it is for anyone who wants it. All you have to do is believe it's true. And you're all like, I can't do it. And we're like, yep. And some are like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, well, it's because you can't do it. And you just you keep fighting for some reason because he'll make you do it if you just kind of die. <laughs> You know, to self-seek, uh, stop thinking that it needs to be you that justifies. And at the end of the day, the reconciliation is him grabbing you against your will to kill your will and give you a new will, a renewed will. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and drag you, well, into his body, which cannot be destroyed even as the world burns. How's that for Christianity on your Saturday morning? The Marxist salvation from oppressors' social gospel is a heresy. It's right. It does preach a utopia. It preaches a perfection on the other side of the end of systemic racism. And the way it gets there is it gets you to put the people who say so into power and give them more money. And if you want to be that kind of sheep, ba 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 ba, you go ahead. I'm going to be the one who says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. His cross is a comfort to me. Hmm. Thank you, Hugh. That rocked on all the way. We're going to jump straight into Judith here. Kabam. The gladiators were known as barley men or barely men. It's barley men, right? Yeah, it is. I like barely men just for fun. The gladiators were known as barley men. Your postings enrich my soul. Thank you and enjoy the brief time you have on holiday. Well, thank you very much. Um, I don't even remember what this is referring to, honestly. Uh, we're talking about gladiators. Does this, does this connect to the Templar talk that we haven't had for quite a while? Uh, I hope, I hope, I hope you haven't forgotten that. There's some really cool stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, the potential long-term project of one of you out there in us, the chill land, uh, on... on uh, it's not about redeeming the whole Templars. It's about the, the very thing that we've been talking about here a moment ago, that the history is complex. You can't say gladiators are all and like go back in time and meet every single gladiator and expect them all to be doing most. I mean, aside from fighting in the Colosseum and dying there, I mean, there's not much more that all gladiators are, right? Uh, so, um, so history is nuanced in particular and down to the level of individuals. And this is... A tangent. Oh, this is why it is so imperative that this history of power talk be understood not merely as about those people out there. It's also the understanding of your own tendencies, that every single man in his house is a king, and the history of power is king's tyranny, and the history of those under is mutiny. Christians would seek a better way through understanding both Christianity, reconciliation, all that stuff that was just talked about, and then how uh, the history of power in kingdoms that Christ 
derives, that is, wherever his word is understood and a man acts, there you have power used to protect and serve. The very thing, in theory, the police have a policy of doing for your polis, that'd be the city. And uh, no, I don't rap, but maybe someday I will. We'll see. Stand-up comedy is still maybe in my kid's future. I don't know. We'll see. Desert Rose. Here you go. I think that's a sweet name. It's probably not your real name, but if it is, it's, it's cool. I will tell a story. Um, my, 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 um, my wife bought a pet again. Uh, hopefully we get to have this one be around for a long time. We've had a, a, a challenge with allergies in our home and, uh, on a number of different levels. And, and so we've been without pets, even though we've both been pet people. I am a cat person and a dog person. I think they're both awesome, which makes me all the happier to discover that a rabbit is a cat dog. It's kind of cool. Uh, no, not all rabbits, apparently. Cause I had some bad experiences with rabbits as a kid. Um, I really did. And, um, they were like, like viciously, <laughs> look at the bones, you know, it wasn't quite like that. But, uh, you know, I, I really like rabbits. I like cats. I like dogs. I, you know, other animals are okay. Rodents tend to not be as much. But in any case, this rabbit, this rabbit is so awesome. It is like, it's, it's cat in all the ways you like cat and it's dog in all the ways you like dog. And the best part of it all is that even though they can't, we did all this thing, try to come up with a name and, and, uh, my wife, my wife always kind of renames our, our animals later and, and all this kind of stuff. But um, they came with a name and somehow, I don't even know how it came, but there was a moment where a Marvel Universe event happened. So, so the, you know, speaking fluently in movie quotes is a thing. And the phrase, thank you, sweet rabbit was uttered in my household. And from that moment on, the rabbit's been sweet rabbit. And so I just want to share with you um, that, that um, this has nothing to do with anything else that uh, it, Desert Rose has talked about, except her name's awesome, right? So you get to say Desert Rose all the time. That's awesome, right? So now I get to say Sweet Rabbit like three or four times a day, and it's really a fun thing. Hello, Sweet Rabbit. Thank you, Sweet Rabbit. It's the, it's the best name. It's the best name. Okay, Desert Rose says this. I think you would find reading listening about Dr. Weston Price very interesting regarding diet. Okay. Um, reading list stack increasingly high. Um, can you summarize? So Sally Fallon has presentations of his work on YouTube. Okay. Summarize. Uh, in short, good. He was a dentist who traveled around the world to study what people ate, huh. specifically geographically native populations and what their traditional diets. Oh, I wonder, is this the guy that's in the fat video, the fat documentary? Um, I wonder, because uh, it sounds like what that guy did with the Inuits. And this is, um, I'm tangenting here. Uh, he, he spent time living up in Alaska with the natives there and ate their food, which was effectively nothing but fat and fish, um, meat, uh, as all he ate. And it was believed that at the time that he would come home sick. And instead he came home in the best shape of his life. Uh, and, uh, you can, you can see this in the fat documentary that you can find on Amazon prime. I think it's there in any case. Um, so this kind of studying, right? Native populations, what their traditional diets were, what made it, they all had beautiful broad white smiles and no need of a dentist. I'm super curious about that. I believed in mythology at one point, and the mythology was that if I fed my kids vegetables when they were young, they'd have straight teeth. I can tell you this is a lie. <laughs> it does not work for a single one of them. Um, I'm wondering now, sometimes as I've entered into hypercarnivore diet, how much if I'd fed them a lot more chewy meat, their teeth would come in straight. I'm super curious if that's what this guy actually found. Um, so thank you for the hat tip. Uh, and... Huh. Digging on it more, I'd love to hear more from you and your thoughts on that. Everybody else, what do you guys think about Weston Price information as a dietitian and a nutritionist? And should we consider it more here on a Saturday morning sometime? Joel, how you doing? Joel says this. Hi, Pastor. Are verses that tell us that only men should be pastors? You list a few. Consider law, gospel, or neither. Ooh, wrong question. Um, these verses are clearly commands that are we are to follow. 
and are a reflection of God's created order, but I also see how the practice of male-only pastors points to Christ's headship over the church, and in that way could be considered a gospel. Yeah, yeah, the gospel is the restoration of the law, fully and entirely in Christ. Yes, amen, it is done. So, I mean, I, I want to finish your question, but like, this is such, this is why Lutherans suck. I'm sorry, I, that's bad language, I know. No one likes that language. I'm vulgar sometimes, but I don't know how else to say it. This is why we're not heard, is we've gotten so blinded by the trees, we don't see our own forest. And so the question, is this verse law or gospel? Strike that question from your question book. Don't ask that. Ask, what does it say? It's huge. What does it say? Who cares if it's law or gospel? What does it say? You care if it's law or gospel when you're going to use it on a conscience. That's when you care about that. That's what that proper distinction is for. Who are you answering and when and how? But to, to regulate the texts of Scripture to a man-made, observed, observed, confessed restriction. You're, you're doing violence to the text before you, you get to it you're, by categorizing them. It's like, look, if I, if I have you all line up and I like cut out your hearts and put them next to each other, I can totally show you how your hearts work the same way problem is it does a little damage in the process, right? So when you take texts out of their context and you line them up, you can see how they tie up. And thankfully, you're not murdering people to do this. Look, these are all about male headship. These are all about the office of the ministry. Maybe there's something going on here. Maybe other male headship verses also connected this. Maybe all authority is tied to Jesus the King. Yeah, it could be that, <laughs> you know? So so you can see all of that, but you really need to put them back into their context and, and, and not say, are these law or gospel as a pack to begin with? That's a, just, just don't do that ever. Okay, um, and, and if you're making a list of gospel verses for you know, like to, to to write to yourself in the morning to make you feel better, that's fine. Do do that. That's that's a different thing than than trying to use the category as a category maker, right? So um, each of these verses is going to be about, frankly, a, quite a different thing. First Timothy three and F- Titus one. I have to look at Titus 1. 1 Timothy 3 is a very different place than 1 Timothy 2. And the debate within the LCMS has been rather pedantic, frankly, uh, about this and whether or not this applies to women. Of course, it applies to women. Does it apply to pastors? Of course, it applies to pastors. All these things apply. The law applies. Design applies. The fourth commandment applies. Uh, I'll, I'll say it differently. Everything we decided wasn't what the Bible says, even though we'd said it was the Bible says for 2,000 years that we've changed in the last 60 years. I'm for unsaying that part and saying it is what the Bible says, and then we can reassess after we get back to the other side. But the the jeopardy that this has put the church that I have to like be a pastor in into at this time is enough for me to say that I don't really care what you want to make as an argument about how we're misreading how all people are neither male nor female in Jesus. Like, look, the the results of this experiment are in. Modernism has destroyed us, and it's time to go back to believing the old ways, straight up. You want to get through it and believe in Jesus, you believe everything he said. It's not a question if these texts are about men and women or about pastors and their role. Now, to ask, is that good news or bad news, which is often the way the law or gospel question is asked, which is unfortunate because that's not what the distinction is about, but to ask, is it good news or bad news, is closer to where I think you're getting at, and that too— is really going to depend on whether you're a believer or not, isn't it? Because a believer who hears, you shall not commit adultery, can hear that as a promise that is the most awesome. Like, I can't wait for the day when my heart is never tempted again. That day of resurrection come, 
Maranatha, Lord Jesus, right? And then I'll say it for all my temptations. But so, so that reality is still there. We are designed to work a certain way by God. And when he saves us in Jesus, he is risen. Let his name be praised. Alleluia. Come on, say it with me at some point. He is risen and that is complete and done. That's the gospel. Now we get to look at the law, not with the third use as if we get to have a different law. We just have a resurrected like heart. We, we desire to know what it says. As Pastor Kuhn said again earlier, we ask for wisdom. We seek it. We hunger for more Jesus. That is what he has risen does to us. And as we find his law, which even has a stand condemned according to its written code, should we be in the dock and have to have judgment passed? As we find that, we can rejoice even in its condemnation of ourselves. And in that way, if you want to talk about gospel meaning happy words, they're still happy words. So I think we've lost the distinction between law and gospel. I'm just going to surmise that right now. The proper distinction between law and gospel is a... Um, an extinct phenomenon. There's a lot of talk about it. We talk all the time about the proper distinction between law and gospel. And, and in this way, and I'm not trying to hurt you, you're part of us here. We are part of us. But frankly, a proper distinction between law and gospel never talks about it unless it shows up in the text. And there's a couple texts where it does show up. And you're like, well, this is a place where it's showing you that you know, the, the sword divides in two different ways. You could talk law and gospel from that. But to think that this is like most of what we just do every time we look at a Bible, a Bible text is ask, is it law, is it gospel? Then you're not listening to the text. Listen to the text. Listen to the text. And ask your pastor if your conscience is vexed by the text. And then your pastor's job is to alleviate your conscience by showing you that you stand in Christ, which is to show you how the gospel predominates, regardless of which letter happens to lean in what direction. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I'm going to read the rest of it. Uh, I've watched some of the old World of Everlasting videos on the subject, but none of them touched directly on my question. I wanted to know if you had any additional insight on the topic. Thanks for all the great work you do, Joel. Thank you, Joel. Um, well, maybe I have insight. I don't know. <laughs> was that was that nice or mean, what I just did there? Um, I'm going to fix my hat as it's falling off. Go back to my baseball style. I never wore baseball caps. And so it's like a whole new thing. This is not a baseball cap. It's like a newsy cap. But like to wear it, like out driving my truck, I feel like such a jock. I'm like, oh, my jock. And I like was a jock, but I wasn't because I was such a nerd that I never fit in with the jocks. So I was like, oh, I feel like a jock. Look at me. I'm a jock with my hat. It's so silly. All right. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. We got more. Poof, 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 poof. The hat is for the hair. You know, I'm growing my hair out, right? My son decided to grow his hair out, which to some extent, um, you know, full, full admission here terrifies me because I used to have long hair and I cut it off when I came into contact with first Corinthians, first Corinthians 11. And I did it at the time knowing, uh, full well that it was a bit of an overreaction, but I figured I'd rather be subservient to the word and find out later and grow my hair out again later. And later when I figured out that I could grow my hair out again, I was like, ah, I don't really want to because we live in such a feminine age and it's kind of hard to do it and look like a guy and all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't really grow any beard at that time, nor was it in. So I just never got back to it. And then, you know, last year, my son, who's nine, and, you know, he, he's like, mm, grow my hair out. And I watched this start and I'm like, oh, he's going to be one of those. Do you <laughs> um, I, have, I have multiple memories there. I remember, I remember you know, the, uh, the mullet on young guys, you know, eight-year-olds, soccer team, that kind of thing. Um, I remember that. Uh, but I also remember the kid who was like 10 and had like the girl's long hair and he'd whip it around. And like, it was always just in his way. And that's what I'm noticing that with my son is always in his way too. But in any case, I got to wear a hat now. <laughs> 
So I'm growing my hair out to, to go with him, basically. Uh, I'm going to join him in this endeavor, letting him know I'm not really that excited about it, but I'm going to have fun with it as I go, because why have why do it if you're not going to have fun with it? Um, so I'll show you how it is. And it's, it's pretty nasty right now. It is as The trick is, you get to this point, I don't know if I can show it, where you have to keep trimming the under part so that it catches up to it, and until you get to where it's all even in one size, it's pretty difficult to manage. Um, the other fun one has been the Sons of Anarchy look. I haven't posted any of those yet, but if I you know, get out of the shower and I, I just comb it back and it just slicks back and I put my chin up like this, I look like Jack Taylor. <laughs> it's fun stuff. All right, so uh, Michael asks this. Let's get back to the serious stuff. Michael says this. Uh, this video was very, very on point about everything happening lately. Thank you. I don't know which one it is, but thank you. Um, it is a good one to listen to, a video of consequence to see. Oh, the one that's coming here. So cool. Link to outside video. They talk about how Christianity has lost the art of narrative storytelling. Yes. While the Marxists retained it and twisted it for their purposes. Yeah, probably. And not surprisingly, how did Christianity lose the art of storytelling? What a strange thing, isn't it? And it really did. It's the forest for the trees that we were just talking about, though. We dissected the story into bits and no longer could remember the story was the part we wanted to tell. We were so excited about the bits we found. So uh, the end result being that we are collectively sprinting to unravel reality by operating in ways that historically would not have been would have been seen to be foolish, especially as Christians. Amen to that. Uh, the conclusion is that we need to reclaim the art of narrative storytelling. Amen to that. So that we can actually describe and interact with reality as it exists through the materialistic lens of modernity. Hope this helps you in your work. Help me my work. You did it for me. I can't say anything to it. Again, straight on. What are you going to do? Which story are you going to write? What are you going to say? What are you going to sing? What are you going to make? What are you going to paint? How are you going to do it and not be an annoying Christian and yet also not let them silence you? That's the question every single Christian should be asking right now about everything they do. You don't have to be the most famous artist. You don't have to be the most famous song singer. But but look, there's a generation of us that were taught that we're supposed to do all this kind of stuff and then the world was going to love us. And the lie is that the world's going to love us. It's not going to love us at all. But all this stuff is what God created. We've been trained. All of us who've been raised in America and did anything at school with any attention have training in skills that we can use with joy. And to take those again and use them with joy for the world in all our hearty gusto and when it comes to the arts then, to tie them to the narrative, the story, the reality of who we are as a people of God sojourning through this chaotic downfall and into a kingdom that's already been revealed in the immortalization of humanity and the resurrection of its king, we walk toward the day of his unleashing of us from our own bondage to sin and decay, for which the whole creation waits, and we do so with intention and without fear and certain that even though I paint a painting and it burned down in the madness, somehow the word of God confessed in that painting will get through it all by, well, by virtue of the Holy Spirit's essence. Honestly, that's the Pentecost promise. So all of that, right? All of that. Yes, you help me. But what we need is for all of us to decide we're done being told what to do. Now, this pushes on some other dilemmas, however. You're going to tell the story you listen to. I'm just going to be a jerk about it. You think you can turn on anything, phone, iPad, radio, open a book. You think you can open a book and you can read it and it will not change you. But you're wrong because that's what words do. They change you. Now, you can go pick up without flesh. I'll do the physical demonstration, a whole chapter on how the words are in fact chemical realities from other people entering your soul. It's pretty cool, really. They change you. Sometimes they change you by strengthening your defense against them. So they break against your defenses and you realize the lie and you call it what it is and you get better at it. You realize the truth. You remind yourself of that. You get better at that too. 
Sometimes, though, this is the white noise. This is what happened to me as a child. I think there's no question growing up in the 80s. This is the definition of my childhood. The white noise was just louder by virtue of its mass. I remember a book I read, fiction book. It might have been the the Xanth or the Xanth series, which, you know, every seventh grade boy kind of maybe should read. Maybe. Um, might not have been that one. There was a there was a castle being attacked by goblins. Go figure. And this castle being atta- attacked by goblins, it didn't look like they'd have any chance. They were they're two feet tall. It's a huge castle. There's just no way they could get there. And the archers were just picking them off. Pam, pam, pam. So you know, there's just dead goblins lying there. Thing is, they keep coming out of the forest. And so, you know, an hour later, there's a a wall of dead goblin bodies seven feet high. Fifteen feet high. Wall's only 40 feet. They keep coming. Just by mass. You know, zombies could be be a zombie story, right? Just by mass, it overwhelms and wins. This is how virology works often, by the way. This is how COVID wins. COVID doesn't win because you catch a one of the COVID, COVID virus. You touch it. COVID wins because you get enough of it, whether through the one that comes in, reproduces because your body doesn't kill it because it's weakened in a certain way, or whether it's because of the viral overload of being exposed to it so much that there's so many coming in from outside, your body cannot kill them all in time. That's the more likely thing, and that's how this thing spreads indoors so well. That's the same idea of mass viral overload. So the viral overload of Christianity as a mindset, as a worldview, as an outlook, as a religion. I got to say, it's probably got something to do with TV and radio. Because the stories that we're being told and have been told are not our stories and have not been. And this is doubly so for you German Lutherans. Doubly so, you, you backwards cornered people. But for the whole the whole. Western mind, and it doesn't matter what color your skin is, if you bought into the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, if you bought into the idea of the Bill of Rights, well, it's against that now. It's, that's what's being drowned out. If you're a Christian and you believe Jesus has risen from the dead, if you're a Catholic and you believe that well, the, the Sea of Rome is in fact the voice of Christ on earth, all these things are being drowned out now. The Pope gets a little attention when the progressive agenda needs it. But not much more than that, I'm afraid. So I I am not anti-TV yet. I'm on TV. Hello. But I'm kind of going to say, I think we need to silo ourselves a bit more. We talked about this last week or a week before. About how the idea of Concordia Publishing House's doctrinal review is such that you would be able to go to a publishing house and know that everything you ate from it, everything you imbibed, would be guaranteed to feed you. And to a certain dogmatic extent, that is exactly what CPH is, and thank God for it. Thank God it's still there. We still should use that tool to the fullest extent of what it is. But far beyond having the nanny state of the LCMS take care of your mind for you, and I'm not saying that that, that you necessarily can do it by yourself, right? But the church as church, as assembly, first locally as a group where you are in honest dialogue and consensus about the reality, but then also translocally as you expand to others that are near you locally and beyond, to be able to stand with a clear understanding together of why you're there, what you're doing, and all the things that matter. 
the stories that matter, the songs that matter. Oh, LCMS, how you have not prepared yourselves. It's worse than you thought. You thought we would just get swallowed into the blob of American evangelicalism as giving up our songs and our liturgy led to us just being kind of mindless Baptists and being absorbed in their future heterodoxy. That's what you were afraid of. But instead, what has happened is that the American song and dance of what? Is it Marxism? Is it fascism? Is it capitalism? Is it some hybrid beast out of the sea or out of the land? Well, it's got our kids' ears, doesn't it? Sure does. I'm not saying turn it off. I'm not saying turn it off. I'm saying think long and hard about how much you listen to of what you listen to and how much you fight back against it with the story, the words, the worldview that will last forever. Let the reader understand. Thanks, Michael. Good stuff. Let's do one of these long ones here before we get to those other short ones. Sorry, Lucas, you have to wait for... Um, Mom Monster says this. Oh, no. That's sad when that happened. Watch. This won't work, though, because if I do this, now it's going to cover everything. <sighs> that was spo- That's supposed to make it easy to remove stuff. Holy moly. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What is this? Okay, that's fine. Um, Give me one second, everybody. I will have that fixed, I hope, in a moment. We'll pull up that one. There we are. Mom Monster says this. First, uh, I want to say I've been watching and learning... With your help for a while, you're a well-seasoned veteran fighting for the faith and scripture. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, your zeal and wisdom has brought me has much, brought much scripture to life. Well done. Thank you, Pastor. Again, thank you. Um, I come to you to expound scripturally what comfort and contentment can come from the thorn of cognitive and mental disorder. From fighting with the flesh for years to finally resting in Christ, I've finally found a purpose for my suffering. Understanding my burdens helps to encourage others that suffer with doubt and guilt because of chronic burdens. Amen. I have bipolar disorder, and it takes the mind so far to the point of losing everything. God be praised. My dear husband has the strength and patience to help me weather the storm inside me. The disorder affects the mind to twist and distort perception, rationality, and even memory. In the thick of the deepest manic episodes, some obsessive ideas seem genius and keep the mind awake for sleeping. From sleeping. The worrying mind won't stop for anything. The worst of the episode is living through the vivid nightmares that cannot be escaped. Hallucinations seem real. I can't even communicate how those episodes pull the worst of a person's fears out into the forefront of the mind and then tortures the afflicted person. You know, um, Mom Monster, I, I have a pretty vivid and active imagination, um, and my fears can become so extreme, so real, so vivid. So I, I, I cannot imagine what, what you're dealing with here. I mean, I can and I can't at the same time. Uh, I feel for you, though. Um, I'm not asking for why. I know why, she goes on. The fall and thus our broken flesh. Our flesh is so weak and easily influenced by things unseen. Finding comfort and contentment is going through the spiritual battle fray, clinging to the shield of faith, knowing that the greatest balms are the word and sacraments. Amen. Uh, To pass through these storms, knowing my salvation in Christ is truth, remembering my baptism, praying constantly to guard my tongue when impulsiveness during my affliction gets hard to manage is how I survive the worst of this disorder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guarding the tongue. It's a restless evil, no? All of us. All of us. Slow to speak. Slow to speak makes a man wise. Uh, He's thought wise, at the very least. Try it. Try it. It's the Bible. (laughs) I'm not talking to you, Mom. I'm talking to everybody else. Uh, I know you know that one. Let's see. You're finding comfort and contentment. Uh, I just read that part. 
I've been shattered many times and put back together by Christ. And that that's the Christian life, though, Mom. You're not different than everybody in this one. We all have it in our own way. It's it's a particular dystopian video game for each of us. This is what this is the genius of the Matrix here, right? That that God made it so that it's uniquely tailored to each of us to be good first. Then we broke it. And now he's remade it to be uniquely tailored to be good through the suffering of redemption in Christ on the cross for each of us. And it's our own little like video game. Like life, you wake up, it's a role-playing game. You have a role, you've been born into it. Welcome, here you go. You don't get to choose what happens to you, get to choose how you respond to it to some extent. And Christianity solves the riddle. It's the, it's the, it's the stone that explains it all. You can see where the game was made. You can see where the game is going. Huh? And you can, you can rejo- rejoice that at the end of the day, as bad as it's gotten because of us, it's still a good game. It's still a good game. And uh, so you're, you're sh- the goodness of it is the shattering and being put back together. See, we think a good game would not do that. No, the good game is you die and you get made alive again and again in each resurrection. Each resurrection is closer to the, the actual Giver moment. Yeah. Explosion of resurrection. Kaboom. Lord have mercy. May it come. May it come soon and soon and soon. Soon and very soon. Ah, that's not in our handbook. Uh, I've been shattered and put together by Christ many times. With the confidence found in Christ, I'm making efforts to pick up the pieces and mend friendships. That's great. That have been under fire by my mind that feels hijacked to destroy all that is good in life. Oh. I feel for you. My eyes have been opened to witness spiritual darkness and the light of truth collide. I take refuge in the gift of faith. Christ won at the cross. Amen. 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 I can't say it better. Psalm 91, uh, the greatest scripture amidst the battle. Um, That one's, uh, Joshua is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He shall deliver me from the snare and hide me from the deadly pestilence. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. A thousand may fall in my right hand, ten thousand at my right side, and I shall not be moved. I shall only look with my own eyes upon the recompense of the wicked while no plague comes near my tent. I shall tread upon the lion and trample the serpent underfoot, for he will answer me when I call to him. Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison. Thank you so much, Mom Monster. That is so, so good, so good, so good. I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? I can't get rid of it now. There it goes. Okay, so we're going to try to get ourselves back to another. We got like three of your actuals to go, and they're all beneath. If I just move my pin board down, pin board down, this should do it. Fixed it. There it is. Kaboom. All right. Another big one. We're going to take a little break. Nah, nah, we'll just keep going. Um, regarding your idea of the LLLA and the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network is still a thing. This is not just an idea. This is real. It's going to be slow to build, so get ready for it. You want to build a political party that helps Christianity have a voice, uh, at least to just say we want to lobby. We want to say this is what we believe. We believe in life liberty and the pursuit of the Bill of Rights, right? Uh, that, that this is what we believe because of our Christian love of our neighbor. Uh, if you're looking forward to that, it's it's coming. It's coming. We've got a, a good amount of interest from a number of corners, and it's just a matter of letting all those pieces, all those pieces fall into place. Let me, let me tell you one more thing here. When I came to Rockford, I didn't plan to come to Rockford. I had no intention of coming to Rockford. I was working in St. Louis. I actually kind of knew I probably wasn't going to be long for, uh, you know, pub, for radio the way I was doing it. I, I figured that out about me really quick and just leave it at that. It was me. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to move to Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> uh, you know, this is, this is like saying, you know, I'm going to move to the worst part of Miami, you know, the worst part of Chicago kind of thing. It's not quite that bad, but it is kind of that bad. It's scary, Indiana, you know, at least. Um, so I wasn't really looking for this. But what happened was, over the course of time, knowing that I wanted to preach— the Lord put me in a pulpit here and then didn't let me leave it. And over time, again, 
the people that were here wouldn't let me leave. Now, none of that happened because I said something once or because they did something or responded or heard something once or because we made a single decision. All of that happened piece by piece by piece, little tiny steps. And what's been most marvelous about watching um, it unfold before me here is that, I mean, I was at a number of other calls at churches where I, every time I went to one, I was like, I'm going to be here the rest of my life if I can. And um, I, I ended up banging my head like a moron against the brick wall of what I thought needed to happen to fix it. And it wasn't that I was wrong about what I saw. Certainly my, uh, my approach was young and zealous at the very least. Uh, but I had to learn Psalm 127. If the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, that the Lord wants to use our gifts, all our gifts. He made them for using, and He will. He just doesn't want us to think that they're ours. <laughs> he wants us to know that they're His. So my experience in Rockford has been the opposite of banging my head against a brick. If I were banging my head against a brick wall, it was the brick wall of not moving forward, of not coming to Rockford. I didn't really try. I just kind of walked. I just let each step as it was like, oh, look, oh, I think I could end up in Rockford somehow if that all went that way. But none of that's there. Oh, look, but this is here. I'll do that. And every step I took, there was another step to take. And I believe firmly the LLLAN has that reality already. I'm watching it. I'm watching it behind the scenes. You can't see it yet. It's just the nibble. But there's a lot of nibble. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we organize this thing in such a way that it stays what it is as long as possible. I forget if it, I think it was Shapiro, the grifter, right? I don't know if he's a grifter. Some of you call him grifter, whatever. He says smart things sometimes. And he talked about how movements turn into companies, turn into bureaucracies, turn into the institutions which fail. Um, and so, you know, the history of the LCMS, I think, teaches us as Lutherans in America that that applies to us, that the institutions that we start because of our movement will eventually become their own identity. Uh, so to, to kind of recognize that um, and know that whatever the LLAN is able to do in the next 40 years, uh, which I think we all, all of us who are interested in the idea, want to do, we got to know that it, it's probably not going to last longer than that as an organization. And if we can keep it from becoming one, the more we can keep it from becoming an actual organization, the better right? The better. Um, it will eventually have to be probably, um, but you want to resist that. You want to keep it at the movement level as long as humanly possible. And I think in that initial movement that we're going to see happen with this in the next two to five years, um, much of what you're going to say here is going to happen to the good. I hope, I hope I haven't read this yet. I'm just going off on you saying we need it, right? I'm hundred percent with you on this. Getting involved in a local level can make a real difference. School board, city council, et cetera. Yeah. Amen. I just, it's just so important. Um, uh, speaking of which, I wish I could remember where I first heard this, but it was a discussion of the most of most people it was a discussion of how most people cannot change the world i.e the whole world but everyone can change your corner of the world neighborhood town etc i try to remember that. that's right you can pick up the trash in your street you can do that right I, I i've seen this in i you know i'm a cigar junkie and so i uh i've seen this in a number of cigar stores it's very clever um in fact asylum cigar is fairly new so it's, it's good marketing on their part to give this because obviously it's going to get put up it's a little sign with the asylum thing it says you know everyone wants to change the world no one wants to change the toilet paper and you know you laugh at it 
And it got me to like one time, like take a little extra off and change it, not leave that little tiny amount. Someone else is going to have to change anyway. Right? I was like, well, yeah, it's true. I should change the world here, right? There's something to this. And the lie, again, to the Gen X generation, the X'd out generation, the generation that will have no history because they're going to tear it all down afterwards with the new millennium, the age of Aquarius. Dear heavens, how much does it all line up? Oh, I just, I just distracted myself so much with the age of Aquarius 60s stuff. The need to have clear lines in the sand for your locality and to know that others are taking those stands elsewhere as Christians is imperative. So um, doing that small locally becomes doing it big. You can try to achieve big just by grabbing the power from the top and abusing it, or you can just build where you are. And, and for us, particularly if we're still talking Lutherans, we're so small. We're so insignificant. We really do have to start thinking this way about building where we are and realizing if we don't build a community, we may not have one there. There may be cities left. There may be counties left. I mean, I have no idea what it's going to look like 50 years from now. No idea. But I think that we want to be close to each other, not spread far apart where you can't find a church. That's one of the questions coming up later again, again. It's, it's increasing questions. Since I saw this question 10 years ago, when I first started doing YouTube stuff, I've given the same answer. You're going to have to move at some point. Just just don't assume as I'm telling you this week, but think 50 years. Like, you want a church? You're going to have to move. Good chance. Or get one now and don't let go of it and you protect your pastors. Dear heavens, because they are under attack. So, more from you. Uh, related, you may know the name Jim Wallace. Uh, don't. Uh, he wrote a book a decade ago called God's Politics. If not, he's a very left progressive, but I bought the book hoping to learn something. The quote has stuck with me. He says this, perhaps the only people who view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everybody else may be living in some kind of denial about what is really going on and how things really are. Yeah, it could be. Uh, and the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, power, and possibility of hope. Oh, interesting. Yes. And that indeed is a spiritual and religious issue. True indeed. Uh, which means the government can't, the government can't give you hope. It can't. Um, more than just a moral issue, hope is a spiritual and even religious choice. Hope is not a feeling, it is a decision. I don't know if I buy quite that. Hope is the confidence of things unseen. And we call that faith usually too, right? But faith in what is known to be true, even though you can't see it, can give you hope if it is a good thing for you. Hence, gospel, that language from before, right? That the good news of the whole thing. Um, so, uh, all based on your faith. Okay. The decision for hope is based on what you believe at the deepest levels. Yes. Uh, what your most basic convictions are about the world and what the future holds. Yes. All based on your faith. Yes. He has risen. Amen. Uh, you choose hope not as a native naive wish, but as a choice. Well, maybe, but certainly today. Yeah. Christians wake up, choose hope. <laughs> you know, stop, stop being cynics. Oh, the cynicism alive in the LCMS roster. All of us. Me too. Guys, this is going to kill us. It's killed us. We're dying. Okay. Wake up. He's risen. He's risen. Get up. Put your pants on. <laughs> it's another day. It's another day of cross and suffering in your neighbor. And he is risen. Every day. Say it every day. You choose to hope not as a naive wish. Because it's not a wish. This is real. And the more you say this is real, the more they kill you, you don't care. Ah, that's the reality. That's the martyrdom faith. Eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics who have made, not made the decision for hope. Right. Because the cynics have their eyes open to the reality of the world, but they have no hope. Now, he's probably making the case that progressives have hope and conservatives don't. Um, interesting. Uh, that'd just be my hunch, by the way. Don't accuse that. So Brian goes on. I, I don't look 
to this for theological guidance. Wallace is very, very progressive, but this was the one nugget in the book. <laughs> uh, I do tend to cynicism from time to time, and just remembering this seems to help. Yeah, I think it's easy to tend to cynicism in an age like this. Turn the Twitters off. I haven't gone for my 31 days without a clock yet, but I am thinking long and hard about how to make Twitter a bot. Anyway, Pastor Fisk, this one says, your videos have been a great comfort for me. I'm in a city where there are is no Lutheran church. Ah, yeah. Maybe three in the country of four million. Uh, and closest one is over 600 kilometers away, right? So you don't just live in a city where there's no church. You live in a country where there's almost no church. Um, closest one is 600 kilometers away. I occasionally attend a service, a conservative Anglican church, which there's worse places to be. Um, but I am getting more and more frustrated because every sermon ends with doubt, questions. Yeah. Well, the Anglicans have to. The empire is fallen. Um, and, and challenges that make me feel like I'm not a Christian because I struggle with sin. Yeah. Should I stop attending church? Yeah. If you're listening to preaching and it's making you feel like you're not a Christian every week, stop listening to that preaching. <laughs> yeah, that's straight up. Uh, like, like the preaching should convince you you're a Christian. And if you had sin, you're going to do better now. Like, like if you have to say, well, but what about my sin with the answer? Well, then go, don't do it anymore. You know, uh, and you should want to. And the preaching should bring you to that point. Uh, if it's making you just feel guilty. Yeah, that's, that's what heterodoxy does. It hurts your conscience slowly like a man with no teeth. But he's got enough gum power and bone power underneath those gums to gnaw your leg off while you are, what, white noise to death? So, um, you have not fallen away. You wouldn't ask this question if you were falling away. I think you should stop attending that church. I think you should start listening to a whole lot more really good Christian stuff that you find. Particularly, find yourself some Pirate Christian Radio. Fighting for the Faith was already mentioned, but it sounds like you are in need of some Pirate Christian Radio. Some Fighting for the Faith there. A little Chris Roseborough action. Um, that would be where I'd put you right away. And if you haven't found issues, etc., what are you doing? I mean, I there are some of you have said to me that issues, etc. was a phase, and now you're ready for something deeper. Good for you! Uh, you know, God bless you. But for most of you, have you started listening to issues, et cetera, yet? If you have not, you're a fool. You're a fool. Until it has trained you, until you've run its gambit, I don't know how you engage in online Lutheran dialogue with anybody. Because that's, well, I don't want to say it's the lens, but it's certainly a, a cultural hub for understanding why we think the way we think. And you want to understand what we're doing, want to have more of it. You want to not be afraid that you've fallen away. Well, listen to some stuff that'll convince you that you haven't. <laughs> yeah, which is what, again, Pirate Christian Radio, Issues, etc., they're both going to do that. Um, How far away? 600 kilometers, yeah. Uh, I recommend you get a hold of one of the pastors in one of those three congregations that's far away, the, the one that's closest to you. It's, an, it's a new age. <laughs> Email and the phone work. Um, I don't like them either. <laughs> but uh, it, it is uh, imperative that you reach out to this person and say who you are and say that you would like to visit at some time and receive absolution. You want to go to confession absolution. You want to visit just for that. And you need to go in the next year, straight up. And that's your church yeah, until you move. You move closer to that or you move somewhere else, but that's your church. And I know it's, it's awful. You're really far away. You still need to get fed. You still need to get connected. And once a year is better than nothing. Meanwhile, eat some meat, turn off the junk. And by all means, don't go to a pietistic gum lawing church is going to eat your faith. You don't need that. None of us need that this times, these times. Last one from you for the week on race relations. Oh, again. <laughs> Spot on. Thank you for dealing with the subject. You're welcome. Uh, so many confuse the responsibilities of those in the left-hand kingdom compared to those in the right-hand kingdom on the subject of equality. Frankly, it is 
embarrassing. Well, what's embarrassing is the loss of the hunger for goodness for all people. That's what's embarrassing. What's embarrassing is that the society has been so uh, steamrolled into a frothing rage that on every single side of it, we've drawn up tribal and even ethnic lines. And that someone has done this to us, or some power has done this to us, should piss us off a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, it's a generations-long game, and the, the real dictator who's got the more than one lifetime to play his cards... What I'm learning about Germany and Japan in World War II, we're not there yet. But the handwriting's on the wall. The handwriting's on the wall. And it's only a matter of time until man in united power does great evil again on this planet. Beyond what's happening to, say, Muslims on the west side of China where they're being put in camps already. Women being sterilized, millions of men growing up without hope of marriage because they have no brides. That's a standing army, don't you think? So, all I want to do is die with the creed and the Lord's Prayer on my lips. Lord's Supper, preferably. I'm more likely to get the Lord's Supper where there's free exercise of religion, I'll tell you that. That's where I'm at. Hey, that's dark, but we have hope. The hope is that he could be back, like, now. Like any moment, like lift up your eyes, you weary gates. What are you afraid of? That kind of thing. So we're going to take a little break here. I want to breathe for half a sec, maybe three minutes. We're going to come back. And on the other side of that coming back, uh, we will uh, go back into your questions and comments from the comment uh, section today. I'll pull some stuff out. We'll get in it with you. So if you want to chat with me this morning, there's still time for that. Um, It's definitely going to take us past that two hour mark. So, uh, you know, I thank you for being here. If you have been up to this point, Uh, Patreon, I need you. I need you on Patreon. Life continues to be the way that it is. I know it causes trouble for everyone else too. Um, I've lost a couple of, of large, Larger Patreon supporters, and I completely get it too. Because if you're where you're at, you got to cut what you got to cut. Um, but if you if you like the show, if you watch the show, if you like the other stuff that's going on, if you're interested in Stop the White Noise with Wolf Miller, if you're interested in um, uh, uh, a history of power with Coons, all of it goes through you supporting this show right here, Saturday Morning Chill. That is the financial power of the thing. Um, is the only one outside from anything I would sell you like a book. And well, they're not going to make a living on that anytime soon. So. Uh, Patreon. Uh, if you're if you're taking off, please consider joining my Patreon team. If not, the Us the Chill group, the network. Uh, do you want to help? There's all sorts of ways you can help with my project and other projects. The coolest thing about the Mighty Network of Mad Christianity is it's going to become uh, like a deviant art for Lutheran Christians. Okay, now not just that. It's not just deviant art. It's a little more than that. It's, it's bigger than that. But imagine the way that deviant art allows artists to piggyback on each other. We want to allow Lutheran creators to piggyback on each other, and that's what's already happening. It's not that we set up that as a goal and said, "Here's what we're going to do." That's what this Mad Christian Money Network is. So if you're interested in that, please reach out to us via redfist.com/contact or talk to you know say, "Hey, Mighty Network" in the side comments, "Us the Chill" in the side comments, uh, and somebody who who loves helping people make awesome stuff awesomer will. We'll pull you into that group that wants to do more and more of that, all while discussing their faith, their growth, their piety, um, the dark and evil age, and the bright and coming days of our Lord uh, at the same time. It's hard hard to beat that. So um, if you want to help out, we need the help. I'm sure there's more announcements I could give you, but those are the big ones for the moment. We'll be back in just a few minutes. 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 No matter how bad that was, it's not as bad as Joe Biden's been recently. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're going to do some comments from the comment chat 
space. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> the place where there's some really good ones too this morning. I, I'm curious uh, just to see Mark Bracco. Uh, don't forget to keep it open to the stranger. Can you give me more on that uh, chat room for the context? I don't know how to answer that one otherwise, but there was a nice and simple question. There it is. Arson Angel Fire says, what's the difference between the passive and active obedience of Christ? That's going to disappear in a second. And I don't want it to. So let's see here. What's the difference between the passive and active obedience of Christ? There we go. We got it back. Um, all right. So when you get into theology, big word, right? You get into not just what's the Bible say, but what's it mean? And then you start trying to understand that as a whole so that if it says one thing over here and one thing over there, you know they're not in conflict. They must come together. Well, what does that mean? How do they mean things together? And you do this with the letters and the words at a certain point, right? And then you do it with the, the big ideas. So this is how you get into what's called systematic theology or, or the organizing, like a library, the organizing of ideas that you find in the Bible. And in what order should we put them? Historically, they're put in the order of the Trinity, Honestly, uh, Peeper's Dogmatics is written in the Order of the Trinity. Camus's Dogmatics, uh, the, uh, Loca Theologiae, uh, and um, you know he worked on the back of Melanchthon, Loca Communis, and I'm not sure, you know, it, or Aquinas, if Aquinas quite had that that tie-in. Um, he probably did, though. I don't know. I'd be curious about that. But the history then of taking these categories, and Aquinas was definitely the king of categorizing the Bible and putting them in you know pockets, horizons, indexes, categories, ideas of substance that are like network hubs that then tie into deeper ideas. Okay. So you do that long enough, you can go really deep on stuff. I mean, you, you can start arguing over how many angels fit on the head of a pin. It can be done almost. Why? Kind of, you know, they're not, they're not corporeal. So it makes, you know, it makes it not really a question, but that's the point. You can actually get into that. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, in that, I'm not going to call it a dungeon cause that's unfair in that glorious treasure trove that is difficult to access without a certain level of storytelling already assumed. And this makes the problem or we just, we don't have the story to understand what's down there in the treasure box. But in there you find this distinction, this line between two things. And it's the, the obedience of Jesus is the whole category, right? So most people don't think Jesus wasn't obedient to his father. Although apparently was it Don Lemon or de Blasio that recently said, well, everyone knows even when Jesus was here, he was sinful. I'm so smart. You know, it's just, it's more of the same, but not everyone knows it. But what I would contend is that Jesus lived a pretty particularly, um, pretty particularly, and a lot of adverbs there, Fisk. He lived a, uh, unique life, a different life, um, a life not to be compared to most other lives. Uh, and, his resurrection kind of stamped that as being like, well, I don't question it anymore. Me personally. I mean, he's risen. So like when he says I'm risen because I justified you all and uh, reconciled you to your father and, and my father, um, you know, I just kind of take him at his word on that. And then, so in other places in scripture, particularly, you know, again, written by those who heard him directly, um, uh, when it, when it says things like that, he was obedient to the father. I don't go, well, Maybe he was only 99% obedient. What about the 1%? Not, no, no. See, that's not there, right? No original sin. He's fully obedient. But now we're going to argue about something beneath that idea, right? So we're, we're down like layers of depth in ideas into, okay, we all agree Jesus is obedient. Mm -hmm. You can maybe get here without believing he's divine, by the way. But but we all, we all believe he's obedient. I would say he's divine too. Um, now below that, 
there's two different types of obedience that he demonstrates. And it's clear that there are two different types of obedience that he demonstrates, a passive obedience and an active obedience. And I can tell you about the difference between these two things. But before I do, I'm going to tell you that there's a certain point at which you're really not telling the story anymore, are you? Now, you can tell some stories in talking about, you have to, to talk about the passive obedience of Christ. It's demonstrated in stories. And the active obedience of Christ is also demonstrated in stories. And there's even at the very bottom of the entire thing, although I would not do this one well from memory right now, because it is a little obtuse. um, There is even at the bottom of this a reason for making the distinction that demonstrates the full and marvelous gospel of Jesus Christ in his totality. And if you don't let it stand as a doctrine, as a topic of Scripture, about what Scripture says, you undermine. It shows that the dogma, you know, people will show you on this point how you have, in fact, started the crumb that will tear apart all the way to the body of Christ eventually. Uh, that's why heterodoxy matters, is, you know, false teaching matters, because even though it's just a crumb, a little, a little crumb of leaven leavens the entire lump. Jesus said this, right? So, now... We are going from the hip a little for memory here. I have not peepered this one, just to be sure. Hmm? Yeah. And is that legal to say on YouTube? I don't know. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, what's uh, potty humor? Sorry, I'm a guy. It's potty. It's potty humor. Um, what's the difference between tinkle? Don't you think tinkle's a funny word? I think tinkle's a funny word. Just say it. Um, what's the difference between the pad? Tell me. You know what? What? I- sorry. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I remember vividly freshman year. I'm pretty sure it was an evening in which we were drinking beer for one of the first significant times. And I, I, I made the error, the grave error of using the word tummy. <laughs> my tummy hurt, you know? Um, and I don't know, my mom, God bless her, that's just the only word I guess we ever used up to that point, right? I, like everywhere I'd ever been, I'd only talked about my tummy. And, I, and <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't let me live it down. Tinkle. I like potty words. I think they're funny. Um, Passive and active obedience. To be actively obedient to the the law requires that you do things, right? So, you know, Jesus dying is not actively doing something. His holding his tongue, you could say, is, right? Or... Frankly, since everything Jesus does is obedient to the Father, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, or what's the what's the one where he's like he's like, oh, this sign, that sign, Father, that was for them and not for us, but thank you for it anyway for their sake, right? Like, like that kind of thing. He is actively being obedient to his Father. Thank you, love. I just need the copy right now. I'll get the food in a few minutes. Thank you so much. Did this have stevia in it? I did, but it, was... it might not have enough for my sweet tooth. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. First one this morning. I've, I've needed this today. Um, he is actively um, doing something that a man can do to some extent too, right? So uh, he needs to fulfill the righteous life of obeying his parents. He needs to fulfill the righteous life of not murdering someone as a human your entire life long. And this is ongoing, by the way. He's continuing to fulfill these things. His fulfillment is not over of these things. Christ is everlastingly obedient to the Father. But he is actively obedient as a man to the Father. And then he is also passively obedient as a man to the Father. And it is in that passive obedience, however, that faith alone justifies the world. Um, 
Now, again, the act of obedience is part of justification in that atonement sense. It's what makes him worthy of atonement. But the passive obedience is where he lets the Father pour all of his wrath out onto him and does not lift a finger, right? I'm pretty sure that's what we mean by passive obedience. And so to distinguish the two is quite nice, right? Because you get to see how his passive obedience is the cross. And there are active things he does along the way, obviously. This is where the distinction will fall apart at a certain point. Um, But uh, what justifies us? Well, both. The reason for the distinction is so you don't say, well, his obedience to his parents didn't justify us. No, 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 that did it too. But but the atonement, it was the cross. Yes, it was. So you must distinguish between the passive and active obedience of Christ and recognize that only one of them atones, but they both, in fact, are part of justification. I think that's most of what's going on with the question. Now, I'm going to tell you again, how much story did we get out of that? I'm a systematician by, like, nature, but I'm converting to historian in my later age. And I probably should end up in exegete, because that's where we all should be, is in the scriptures itself. But, um, Getting the stories back into the way we talk about Jesus is imperative. And if we cannot answer this question without being able to tell the story that makes it important, and I don't think I just did, then somehow it's not that the the, the topic or the doctrine is it's biblical doctrine. It's a biblical topic. But somehow we've hung up on our way of talking about it, our way of distinguishing it because of a past argument that isn't a present argument. And we may be losing the way to speak in the present argument because we're insisting on language dealing with another nuance. What do you think? That's my thinking on that one. I saw another one. Before I go down further, I've seen more. Oh, for, for pity's sakes, I wouldn't want to miss. Um, Jenna Knight Anakin Krinswalker with a super chat says, I've had the thought to simply not teach my kids English for the first few years when I have them. That way I limit the ability to dominate culture. And influence. I love it, though. So I'll go, I'm going to go a different direction with you, though. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I hope. I hope I get the energy and time. This is tough. And frankly, the white noise monsters set against you. They do not want you to be able to do this. I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's hard to do. I have a couple of old iPods that my kids have that they would like to use to listen to music. And right now they've got some music on it. But what I think I'm going to do is I am going to make playlists that are mandatory listening And these aren't like talking playlists. These are going to be songs. And they're going to be secular songs. But they're going to be uh, formational. (laughs) I don't know how to say it. They're going to be catechal. Um, Some of them will have uh, words, some won't. But there's some lyrics I want my kids to learn to sing. Uh, And to get hymnody in the same boat, I think would be good. I don't have enough good recordings of hymnody. It's tough to find good ones, honestly. Really tough. Uh, tough to make them. Uh, the human voice as sacred music has historically been performed in a hall is not easy to capture in a studio. Uh, it just doesn't quite do the same thing. Um, that's sound engineering stuff, which I'm no pro. Uh, that being said, the idea is that we would take, you know, music, movies, words, and you would look at your children and you would say, There's a lot of these out there, and here are the ones that are good. As opposed to, go have fun with the internet. (laughs) That's a bad idea, right? So, um, you know, the idea that you wouldn't talk to them until they're three, that'd be be an interesting experiment on some other species that, you know, that wouldn't be abused to, right? But there is something about, you know, the way you talk to them is going to be the way they talk to you. And so if you say no all the time, they're going to say no all the time. If you teach them to never say no, then they will be unable to say no. 
yikes, both of those thoughts, um, are, 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 are quite terrifying, really. Um, this struck me the other day with my son again. I'll mention him again as a good example. Sons are so different from daughters. But I realized that my, you know, my anger at what he'd done that was a mistake and an error and a conscious decision too, an evil one even, my anger was a bit misplaced though because here is this sinner, it's what he is, what we all are, and as much as it was consciously like, like that was diabolical, dude, why'd you do that? Like, he doesn't know that until I tell him it's diabolical. So why am I angry at him? Does the anger of man bring about the justification of God? The answer is no. James says as much, pretty, pretty straight up. So the thing to remember is in your role with your, with your children is you want to speak to them the words you want them to say. You want to sing to them the songs you want them to sing. Yeah? You want to respond to them in kind the way you want them to respond. Now, this doesn't sound like rocket science. It sounds like the golden rule for pity's sake, but it's, it's, uh, apparently it's rocket science these days. Racism. Blah. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's worth thinking about what words you use as a family, what words you allowed, what stories you allow to be told. And I, you know, again, I haven't, I, we, we did cancel Netflix finally for pity's sakes. They got so pushy with their, their liberal agenda. It's like you couldn't watch a thing without it being part of the story to just have to be run over by LBGTQ stuff. And you know, fine, whatever, go do your stories. But like, can I have something that's not that right? <laughs> so, so, but then we got, we got strung into Disney plus for the Marvel timeline for a while here still. So we'll see how long that lasts. I just don't know. It's like, when you turn the spigot off? You have to engage, right? We don't want to be Amish, right? I don't think I want to be. What do the Amish do wrong? Well, a number of things. You know, they, 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 but what do they do right? Well, a number of things. You say what they did wrong. Let me tell you what they did right. They've retained their culture. They have not rejected modernizing. They just do it very slowly, carefully as a group. They seek consensus instead of giving their way. All these things, I think they, they pull from biblical concepts, more or less. And they're not like things we would be against. But if you look at the position we put ourselves into as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod or as a Lutheran congregation in the town you're in, chances are we're not functioning quite like that, right? So what have they done right? They conceive themselves as a people. They are confident in who they are. They let their children go away with such a go away and don't come back that um, if they don't come back, they don't come back. And if they do, they do forever. Now, I'm not saying I want to adopt that wholesale. I do not think so. But I think I think it's time we stop saying, oh, the Amish as some sort of like knock. Especially if you're Nelson Mass Lutheran. We are a generation away from evaporating on these shores, on these shores. Lutheranism, Christianity, look, it'll carry on and Christianity will carry on fine without us. Honestly, it needs our confession. It needs our creed. The Lord will bring that out. The scriptures are there. The Lord does what he does. He knows what he's doing. We've thought so highly of ourselves that the world needs us because of our confession. And truly, it needs our confession. It doesn't need us. So it's time for us to realize that. Stop arguing about how we can grow our little corners of the kingdom and think a little bit more about who we are. Straight up. Who are we? That's what matters more than growing. I know the money issue has become a real issue. It's easy for me to say here with a job, right? And, and say, well, you know, take the risk. Um, but we've got to. They're going to make us. We need to consolidate. We need to um, understand what we're up against. When, when the, the, there were a lot of 
different events that led to the fall of Rome. So it's like, when, when Rome fell, you know, well, it's just, just that thing. Um, there were a lot of different events that led to that. And the barbarian hordes, which which sacked Rome, uh, you know, were from different directions. I, I loved, I just learned this week that the word German is, it is literally the word Germane, and it comes out of the Latin. So they're called the Germans because, you know, Julius Caesar fighting these Gauls and whatnot, you know, they called them Germanes. They're, and what it means is they're all related to each other. <laughs> Now, who's the white man in this, by the way? Julius Caesar or the Germans? That's what I want to know. Which one's the white man? The Mediterranean man or the Norse man? Which one's the white man? Or are they both white if you decide so? And what happens if you happen to be black and have a little white in you? Are you a white man now or are you just black? It's got to be. It's a fascinating time to be alive. Let's just go off that tangent again. Try to come back. Try to come back. Can we bring it back? I don't know if I can bring it back. The old ways. We can bring it back to that. We have to be able to stand in confidence upon our civilization, and the LCMS has not done so. We have been living in fear of collapsing. As Kuntz pointed out, we've not been having kids because we we were told we didn't need to, and we believed it authentically, and we've been told, oh, it's a subtle argument. Don't even talk about it, and yet we're watching ourselves collapse again and again, just demographically. So it is a inverted cyclone. It goes downwards. Unless you get over that 2.3 number, you're really in trouble, and to be honest, what am I seeing uh, in in congregations. I'm seeing young people who will get married. Will they have three kids? I don't know. I tell them to say, we need three kids out of you. <laughs> three, five is great. Ten's even better. You don't realize how good it is. till you've had 10 and I have it. And I'm sad that I didn't, but we need three to survive. That's just the numbers. We haven't done that. And so here we are, you know, and, and Harrison pointed this out. What? Two triennium ago. And he was raked over the coals for being anti-woman. How does that sound like? What game are we playing in the LCMS? What's it sound like? It's the same game. If we keep playing that game, we can just kiss all of our churches goodbye. All of our children can just become pagans. And here we go. Although our children, if and when God holds them to their baptism, will draw them to heterodox churches, like our friend who's going to the Anglican church, because he's so hungry he needs something. And at the same time, how dark does that dark ages get? And what do you find? When you go into the church, do you find the medieval Catholic sacrifice of the mass in Latin? And you can know nothing. And at the same time, that's the same group. It's the same group, the history that began by when those barbarians were sacking, started building libraries, right? Started keeping books, started making sure that it wasn't forgotten, started telling the stories. So churches, wherever you are, you got a library that needs to be thrown away, probably. Guarantee it. If you're an LCMS church, you need like 85 to 97% of your library thrown away. You really do. And then you need to build one. You need to build a real one. Because you want to leave something for your kids to find, to build on, leave them resources of the information that's about to get burned and torn down. Maybe it won't all be, but the white noise is taking it away either way. They don't have to burn it down. They just have to shout so loud no one knows where it is. Wolf Miller is making money from you guys to recycle to you guys by just reprinting books that you can go and get for free online. But what's he doing? He's publicizing it, right? He's promoting it. He's letting you know it's there. It's no good if you don't know it's there. And that's the trick with digitalizing the information. And the more I contemplate the the Everbook, the the Smart Notes, uh, the Stack Deck stuff concepts um, that I'm that I'm messing with, uh, the more I realize that digitalizing your information is losing it. Like you can search for it if you know what to go for, but the computer's not going to help you remember it very well. Uh, it's too infinite, right? It's too infinite, uh, and so a physical, tangible library. Uh, that you can access both locally in your neighborhood, right? That's an important thing. Support it. Get on the board. That's how you get people like transgender people dancing not there. Uh, uh, get on the board. Um, 
but then also consider your church library. This is just in my own head. It's like it was meant to be there. You can go back and you can find in the old LCMS stuff, right? Our histories, our constitutions, Dr. Walther's proper form of a Christian congregation. You can find information on how to handle books and all that stuff about CPH and which books are allowed. Like that's all kind of part of it. But the big idea is that you're not going to have anything in that building ever that is not as as usefully tied to Christianity as it can possibly be. In fact, they went further. They said they couldn't have a mistake in it. I, I think that might be extreme, right? You can only have purely doctrinal books. That's like the book burning in reverse. We, we don't want that either. Uh, but nor do we want to fail to distinguish between the good books and the bad books. And why? That's the whole point, is that you would learn the difference between good and evil, because otherwise you just come up with evil. That's what we do, right? So we need to learn good versus evil, and you do that by studying the history of it in the context of the resurrection of Jesus. So, again, your church library is pretty, pretty, pretty important. By the way, if you don't have a copy, <laughs> I did not plan it this way. If you don't have a copy of uh, the books Echo or Broken or Without Flesh in your church library, you should have one. By the way, also, if you're interested in joining me on a, a romp, pastors, congregants. Uh, I'm going to be going through the book Broken, my book Broken, it's kind of behind me right now, um, over the course of the next year using the one-year lectionary. I'm going to use the one-year lectionary starting in mid-September, the second Sunday in September, the first Sunday after. Is it Labor Day? I always mix up Labor Day and Memorial Day. That day that's there that we get off, it's a Monday. I don't ever take it off. I try to, but you know, whatever. You do what you got to do. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, starting the week after that, part of why I don't take it off is it's like it's kickoff time for church, um, and sometimes for football. Uh, I'm going to begin the one year lectionary. We're going to do Saints Days as much as we can. We're going to pull them into Sundays, and then we're going to add texts that tie to the launch of or the trajectory of Broken, so that the story of the um, the the threefold tyranny of uh, rationalism, mysticism, and moralism can be pulled out for the sake of understanding a bunch of different texts as we move through them so that it'll be a study in law gospel. Why am I saying this? Because pastors, if you want to join me on this, I'm willing to let you know what I'm going to be doing uh, and uh, I'll let you know ahead of time. But I need you to like let me know you want that. Otherwise, you just follow, follow along. But I'm not going to give you a lot of resources, but I'll tell you what text is coming up next. I'll tell you, um, or I'll even you know do on Saturday here a little bit about it um, that you could piggyback on. But that's only if you want to, right? So here's, here's what I'm doing here is uh, I'm going to have copies of Broken available for sale. I'm going to tell people they're welcome to read it. Um, I'm going to tell them up to what page I'll be going, but I'm not going to be having them reading it as a whole. I just want people to read it if they want to. And again, we're going to pull some of the chief texts of it out as preaching texts for the week. So the parable of the sower will be the first text because it's the first text that shows up in the book. Um, and then that'll be put into uh, the one-year lectionary as the second reading, right? Now you have the first reading, historic, yeah? And the second reading that shows up much later, um, that's the one we're going to tinker with a little bit here. And then we'll also be doing uh, some Saints Days memor- uh, memorialization. We're going to learn our history and their stories throughout it. So that's my preaching plan for the coming year. And if you want to join me, again, it's it's from the hip at the moment, but, you know, two are better than one quarter three shares not quickly broken. If anybody wants to join me on this and putting resources together for this, uh, uh, let me know. Uh, my goal again is not to forget what I've written. <laughs> I want to remember it and I want to bring it back because I think I think Broken did well for some good reasons and it may be showing its age as a book already. Um, so uh, time to attend. Time to attend to those three liars: mysticism, rationalism, moralism, and and we'll go deeper this time too. So that's out there for you to to look into if you are uh, curious this this fall. Okay, back to the comments. 
I, I appreciate all of you saying, give me some more likes. We still haven't hit 50. I, we almost hit, I didn't see, uh, I, before we went to, oh man, when was it? Probably about an hour and a half in, we were at 99 people watching. I don't know if we've ever broken 100 before. Maybe we have, but 99 is pretty good. It's pretty good. If we start hitting numbers like 200 and then 500, we know we're doing something. We're we're on a roll at that point. As long as we stick around in this 50 to 99 range of of people watching, at any given time, by the way, that's not a, you know, we're getting probably by the time this is over 300 different people have tuned in, somewhere in there, 200 different different people tune in. And then more people tune in later, of course. Um, but if we're ever going to get this live community up, right, have it be something more, uh, then a huge part of that is that whenever you come in and you watch, you just make it a habit that you like the video straight up. You just, you like the video. If it's me, if it's Wolf Mueller, if it's Roseboro, if it's a good Christian man, you like that video because what that does is it makes it more likely to show up in the search feeds unless they get blacklisted, which can happen in various Twitters and whatnot. But, but for the moment, that's not our threat, right? It's not what we're worried about for the moment. We just need to continue to push it up. So the more you can like the video, the better you have to hit something that says like, yeah, I see a couple of them going up. Thank you very much. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, sharing, sharing these things, sharing the clips, right? Not necessarily the big one, but the clip that's connected to it. Um, getting connected with the network and the comments to make those clips. If you want to be part of that team that spots the clips and calls them out so that your favorite clip gets clipped, um, you can be part of that as well. All of it is, what are we? We're a publishing house, right? Uh, we're, we're a publishing movement. The goal is to get as much information out there into the white noise as we can to drag people into the resurrection of Jesus with us. Kicking and screaming initially, yeah, of course, but then they're going to be singing by the time they're done. So, um, well, the more that you can get on board with that, the better. Mad Monday's newsletter. I haven't even mentioned it yet, have I? I feel like I should talk about it differently now. It's it's as a newsletter, is it really just that now? I am so proud of the team that is pulling it together. And it's just the surface, scratching the surface of what we can do. If you have not looked at that newsletter, you need to look at it. Because the the combination of information that's being found and given to you with future ramifications, if you're into the futuristic and biohacking stuff, with biblical ramifications, if you're into the systematic topical dissection of your worldview stuff, uh, with a devotional stuff, with art, with music, with something to listen to, with, wow, that's kind of weird. Like, there's, it's all there. And it's brief enough that if you just don't read my fiction at the end, you can get through it on your phone. If you want to read the fiction, you got to go, you know, do you want to see this whole message? The fiction just got kind of fun for the first time for me. I'm curious if I get it out this week, but it's close. It's close. And you don't even know what story it is. You think you do, but you don't. It's so awesome. But, but, but if you haven't checked it out, you really should. There is a newsletter called The Hustle. The Hustle has been around a year and a half. Two? Not as, they just passed their first year for pity's sakes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a spinoff. Hustle's not been around that long. They're a new company, news company. You know, think long, they, they missed the, uh, the bonus bump that the world of everlasting era of internet was given. So they're newer than that. Right. As am I, I lost the bump, right? We, we, oops, we, there it went. No bump. Okay. So they're like that and they're trying to become what I can only call like a Vox. It's not Vox though at all. Um, it, it, they want to be a news site, but a letter they definitely have a progressive bent, but they cover such a vast array of topics and with such precision that I just, I, I read it. It's the only newsletter I really consistently go back to read, um, except Mad Mondays now. Because uh, what I pitched to the, the team was the very idea that we're going to be the Christian hustle. And they said, well, I kind of like that. I said, they've all been around a little while. And I'll look what they're doing. And if you look at what you go look at a hustle, 
and you go look at what we're doing and we're not copying the hustle. We're not stealing from the hustle. Every story is not to the hustle. We're doing it. We're doing a Christian one. You got to check it out. Mad Mondays. You got to check it out. It is free. It is for you. It is for sharing. There is an endless supply of good clickbait there. So that frankly, you can, that be your, your prism to the chaotic world. Let us dumpster, dumpster dive for you. And you just, you know, eat the juices when, when we, when we spot them to you. Um, God, I'm cur- I'm super curious about. It. I know it's coming out as a as a link. I didn't dig into it more. The new Ghost Phone from McAfee. Dear heavens, that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff. So, all right, all right. Burr, 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 burr. Baron Albatross is happy. He's got a Greek New Testament. That's fantastic. Michael says to Josh, "I'm not an expert by any means." Oh, we did hit 100 today. Says Ardeth. What else we got, Josh? Uh, you're being referenced. I'll let you go ahead and say, I don't know how much longer I will be in the area since I need to get back to the seminary campus. Yeah, my prayers continue to be with you and your family as uh, you, you figure out that one. Philip says, uh, "Homeschooling your kids helps keep." E- Keeping German in the Lutheran Church would have helped. It would have. Too late. Um, but it would have. You're right. It's it's a missed opportunity. Um, we need to own English like we mean it now, though. Um, uh, or at least the old English hymnals with weird words. Weird words are not defined by the culture. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Homeschooling. Or one-room schooling. I I, I would love to think that the... Uh, the educational system of the LCMS, as we currently have it construed, is going to make it? We'll see. I mean, the agenda is not to let them go back to school at the moment, right? I mean, Trump said they got to go back, so of course they can't go back. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, at some point, I wonder if he'll figure out if he can just start choosing the opposite policies of what he wants, it'll all get done. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is really weird. And I'm, I, am, I am not a Trump supporter. I mean, uh, hello? Are you looking? Where is it? There it is right there. Hey, look, look, I'm out. Oh, 2020. If you don't know, if you don't know, you should know. Hashtag Vision 2020. Now, the, uh, you know, things have come up today. Uh, the confluence of all these ideas. I'm going to just say, I, this is here because I really want to be told why I'm wrong. I want to think that this is silly. But the thing is, this has more heart to me for America. Um than either other party. I just want to be proven wrong and have the debate. Stir it up! Let's stir that debate up. Is there going to be a debate? Will Trump debate Kanye West and uh, Joe Biden will just sit at home? That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. What a world we live in. It is too much to fathom. Homeschooling your kids. One room schooling your kids. What's going to happen to Lutheran education? Lutheran education lost, not because we lost the German, but when we lost the German at the same time, somehow we adopted a different story. And now we have to really translate our story. we got to get it in English in a way that's more than just, well, we followed Stefan, so we're not sure why we're here, but Walther's great and proper distinction. Like, that cannot be what you say when you go door to door. Not going to help. I need a better story. So, and, and Luther, here I stand, I'm right, the Pope's wrong. That's not the greatest story Either. It is a great story. It's a martyr's story, but we don't teach it like a martyr's story. We teach it like a victor's story. And that's because he didn't get martyred, right? Um, but most others who did what he did in history for Christianity get killed for it. Luther, we're talking about right now. Um, and so, again, just ch- running out how Reformation makes the Pope wrong every year does not a culture build, does not a biblical culture build. And Lutheran education, if, if it fails when it fails, is failing because we're not building Lutheran culture. 
straight up. We don't think there is one. We don't want there to be one. We would rather have filthy lucre, frankly. We want mammon. We want the recognition of the world. We want our name to be lauded in lights along with all the other mainline bodies, just like we did when we tried to give up the Bible in the 70s. And we gave up not giving up the Bible. (laughs) We did not give up the Bible, but we did at the same time not jettison the, the worldly politic that plenty have complained, and then they go and do more of it. The worldly politic that has driven our decision-making. And that, of course, is all the way up to every power ever, including Chirash the Great, who we referenced earlier. And if you don't know who Chirash the Great is, then I'm afraid you're just not illuminati enough to participate in the conversation. But Dan Carlin's hardcore history is the antidote to many things. Many, many things. All right. So, well, um, here we are. What time we got? It's 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Time to take a chill. Y'alls, y'alls, y'alls. And I'm looking back for comments. I'm not seeing anything too new. Oh, there's a couple of super chats that chimed in right there. I got to say yes to those. Uh, let's see here. Jeff says, good work. Your content is very helpful as it seems like I'm seeing more heterodoxy creeping into my church. I'm sure you are. It's everywhere. And don't, don't mistake that you're always going to have heterodoxy creeping into yourself. I'm on like this, like this war against my mind right now. To leave myself a note card in the morning with a Bible verse on it that I will meditate before I do anything else, and I cannot do it. I can get up, move around, do my favorite things, eventually come back to it, give it some attention, but I tell you, the war to get your mind to sit and imbibe and eat what the scriptures say, right? Um, Heterodoxy creeps into us all, and you must fight yourself first. And then you'll be able to see clearly that the congregation's heterodoxy is a danger, but often not the one we make it. Here I stand! No, no, it's like, hey, we need a conversation now. Long one. Careful one. Uh, That that reality. So, um, are your wife and you like a frog in a boiling pit of water? Um, You know, that can be the case. And again, I don't know why. I just just hit this button and it'll stay. There we go. Um, I mean, if you're in a church that's going church growth, if, 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 if your church is so backwards and unaware of what's going on that they think that now's the time to adopt the church growth strategies, <laughs> I mean, they really, they don't know, I don't know who they're listening to uh, and what they're watching. They're just not, you know, they have two and they have two, but they don't know what four means. It's just too big a number for them. I mean, if, if that's really where they're going, you should get out now. Straight up. Get out now. If, if it's like, oh, now's the time to put in contemporary music. Get out now. They don't even know the war's on yet. They're too busy trying to steal members from the neighboring church, which is what the music's designed to do. Always has been from the start. What am I going to do? That's the way it is. You know, just know what we meant. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. What you mean and what men do with it are two different things. So deal with it. Thank you very much. Frog and Bowling Pot of Water, I'd say find a faithful church. If you're concerned about it, talk to the pastor for pretty sakes. First, talk to your pastor. Go to your pastor, say, Pastor, my concern is A, B, C, and D. I'm a Christian man. I want Christian kids. I want to give money to this church to make it stay here for a long time so that I can have Christian kids, have a Christian church. A, B, C, and D bother me. What is your answer? Help. I want I want consensus. I want understanding. I want to know we're on the same page. And you'll have your answer. You'll have your answer. It'll be leave or, leave or stay. You'll know. Your conscience will tell you. So, um, yeah, good question. God, it's so sad, though. What a war. It's a war, though. Well, of course it's going to be sad. One of the other things, I'll come back to Kendall here, uh, which I'm really glad this is someone leaning over a chair backwards. It made me think of a certain commercial for a squatty potty. Um, 
which is hilarious and worth watching if you like rainbow, rainbows, unicorns, and and whatnot, and ice cream and children. And if you don't know what I'm leaving out, there's a good reason. <sighs> you distracted me now with that one. <laughs> it's been several hours. You'll have to forgive me. We'll go to you and maybe it'll come back to me. So looking forward to the series in September. Yeah. Thank you, Kendall. Um, uh, I am too. It's so the, the one year lectionary, excuse me, the, um, the old Testament lectionary. I learned a lot in that process. I really love the first draft, which is only half the year of what I was able to achieve with it in terms of providing introits and graduals that all time. It's a, it's a full functioning one year lectionary with old Testament preaching half of it, but you know, COVID hit us in a lot of different ways, everybody, right? And so among many projects, you know, that one stopped. It's probably good. It's probably good that I had to stop at that point. COVID gave me some time to understand that my adrenal gland is a real thing. <laughs> I need to deal with it a little more honestly as an old man, right? Uh, as, as a grain already beard. Um, uh, the result of, of thinking it through uh, and deciding to be a little bit more, more patient about what I'm doing uh, means that as I embark on another lectionary, right, uh, on, on the one-year preacher's lectionary, uh, the idea here is to create a, a lectionary out of the one year that doesn't get rid of the one year. It takes some of the best parts of the one year. You don't have to do much. You just they're just there, and then we're just going to plop in a series of second readings that will take you through a didactic treatment throughout the year. So you're still going to be in the narrative as it's always there every year in the one year. But now you're that second reading, which has always been the sore thumb in the one year. And everyone knows it. So it, I mean, sometimes it's spot on. Sometimes it's like, well, how'd that get there? Lectio continuum. Really? Well, that's not really even a thing. Like, so like it wasn't in theory. Um, so it's, um, you know, you, Bo Gertz has done like a topical treatment of the entire one year lectionary that each year, each week has a different topic. Uh, we did that at Bethany Naperville for a year in the one year. And I found it to be, um, Disappointing. Uh, Bo Geertz, as a theologian, if you know him, uh, great storyteller, very important work. I just didn't find that, that that particular work was all that helpful. So I'm really curious to see what happens if I just open the book broken and I let whatever Bible texts get pulled out first and just thrown in front of you, become the text we start walking through, and then hit those major topics as they come in the text, uh, what that does in the context of the one-year lecture. I'm looking forward to seeing how God brings fruit from that, because he's bound to, because it's his word. Right? It's his word. So glad you're looking forward to that as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, do, 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 right. Which vote, Ryan? <laughs> I, you're talking to a guy who at this point isn't even sure we're getting to vote. <laughs> I really am not. Uh, I, I in my state, especially, I, I'm not sure someone's not voting for me. Dead people aren't voting multiple times. I don't even know. The more they put these things on computers and you, the, you know, the dimpled Chad thing goes all the way back. I mean, I've been through this enough times that I don't believe any of it. I don't believe the news. So, I think the only reason Trump won is because they forgot to rig the machines last time. They didn't think they had to, which anybody who was watching could have told them that they were a little cavalier in the in the uh, in thinking Trump couldn't win. I don't think they're cavalier now. But what I want out of this is, I mean, I don't care if we split the ticket, because if you split the ticket, Trump, Kane West, and then Biden, it still unifies us really does in, in much better ways. So, so Biden and then his running mate Cortez or whoever he picks, you know, they can go and do what they're going to do globally, nationally, and maybe get us into a war. Yeah, there are something worse, right? A, 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 a huge economic industrial collapse. 
But that's why your local government matters so much more. It just really does. At the end of the day, your meat packing plants, those are in your state probably, right? Where you get your milk, where you get your eggs. That's not presidential stuff. And so you want to talk about how, you know, how to be ready. My wife looked at me yesterday. She's like, do we need to start prepping? <laughs> so I wanted to kiss her. I love you, honey. No, not yet. No. Um, and, and you might call us preppers though. What do we have? We have some canned fish we bought for COVID that we haven't eaten yet because it'll last a long time. Why? Because when COVID went nuts, you know, we had meat prices double. Uh, and if that happened to the extent that we couldn't afford to do it, we would want to keep eating protein because it's important and fat and all that, right? So so where's the line, right, between this being crazy, prepper, rah, I know I, I'm creating water tanks in my who knows what, right, uh, to, to, to prepare for when the, the faucets turn off or in well water, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I, you can't live like that. So if you want to store some food, because it's wise to store some food for the winter, store some food for the winter. But the idea of the the scurrying rabbit running from the great conspiracy cosmic horror Tulu monster in the sky is not going to help you. There's a point at which if you really want to become like an, a rogue element in a society, you might have to flee to the mountains. That's true. That's true. If you got to become uh, you know, the, the swamp fox or the Taliban— you take your pick, well, then, you know, you don't want to be in the city, generally speaking. But that's not what Christians are about. We're really not about that. We, we are. We are the swamp fox, but we're not shooting people with bullets. We're speaking truth and unafraid of getting shot ourselves. We're not so much undercover of, um, like, we're trying to hide as if we don't want people to know about Christianity. Oh, don't tell them what we really think. Like, that's our whole point is to get a hearing. I guess that's all we care about is you just hearing what we really think and then you can kill us if you want to. Like that's our martial art. <laughs> and it's just what we got. How many Christians, though, if given the opportunity to say something these days, are A, too afraid to say it, B, too uneducated to say it? And Christianity should not be a matter of education, by the way. That is a Lutheran mistake. I am against that one. Because... I mean, we should be for education by all means, but they're not the same thing. And if you have a faith that you have to become educated to confess, then you don't have biblical Christianity. Now, it's not that an educated person can't confess biblical Christianity, but the extent to which that's all you can say, the extent to which the answer is, well, I got to teach you to read so that I can teach you about Jesus, you've missed something here. And frankly, you've missed the, the good of fatherhood. Do you teach your kids to read before you teach them about Jesus? Do you teach them about Jesus at all? <laughs> That's a fair question too, right? Fathers, absentee fathers, there's so much more. Tangent, 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 on and on we go, right? And you can end up where I was yesterday. It's like the fall of Oklahoma. I didn't bring this one up either. I wanted to ask Kuntz about this one. I don't know if this is true or not, but like, doesn't that technically mean if you live in Tulsa, you don't have to pay federal income tax? Right? Like, you're on a reservation now? A whole city? I think it's time if you live in that area not to let a good crisis go to waste and realize how much freedom you just got. So while I freaked out as the end of the states, dear heavens, you just became a sovereign nation if you're Tulsa. If you want to be. Legally. Oh my gosh. Farewell to Manzanar. You got that one? Did you read it? You should. Germans, too. Same thing. Not as many, because you couldn't see us 
as easily. Nor did we have quite the same propaganda in one single state against us as the Japanese and Asians did in California with a true evil man running the show there at the time. Um, Germans in the Midwest, however, were, and those who didn't want to, did things like put their put American flags in the sanctuary, like right up next to the crucifix. And they've been there to this day as a result. Did it help us? I'm not so sure. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, do we even care about the flag anymore? <laughs> you know, let alone the crucifix. Um, and so, so they did that. Uh, they, they changed the languages in their parochial schools from German to English so that they could not be called Nazis. So they would not be deported to, to camps. Right? This has happened before in this country. You didn't know that? Yeah, it's happened before. It happened again. All it takes is the people to get scared enough. What made people take Japanese native-born American citizens and move them from California to other states, other areas, a couple different ones, where the camps were, I think, um, move them to other areas, relocate them to camps. The thing that caused that was that a single Japanese submarine surfaced off the coast of California um, and was spotted I don't believe it actually did anything. Um, that alone scared the West Coast so much that the Manzanar event and, and others like it happened. The mob, in fear, was worked into such a, thro- a froth that they decided that their individual security was more important than the security of their neighbors. That is the devil's gospel. And whatever else is going on out there right now, the part that bothers me is that people are continuing to push those narratives, those stories. They're continuing to say that you must unite with those like you against those against you. And while I'm with that when it comes to truth and ideology and, frankly, the police force in my city, I am concerned that Christians should enter even such disagreements with, with the pinnacle of what used to be called the old liberal mindset, that I will defend your right to disagree with me as much as I disagree with you. I will allow you. And, and this is what the, the, the one lady who did that I mentioned earlier with, with Kuntz, the Tim Ferriss uh, retweeted um, liberal think tank. We need to have free speech and talk to each other lucidly video that, that, I mean, go find on my Twitter feed is really good. African-American women, really, really good. But even then she, she draws the line. She will not condemn the idea that we can stop hate speech. The fact of free speech is you have to believe enough in goodness and truth and honesty that you think hate speech can't win. If you let all the cars be put on the table, like it looks like they got a great hand, this hate speech thing until you put down the rest of the deck and you realize it's a pittance that nobody's really following this. And we could frankly shun them out of existence if we want to do without having to make it illegal without having to make it illegal you can just shun them out of existence because nobody likes hate when it's directed at them personally and so instead of saying let's get rid of the hate speech but keep free speech which they're see they're trying to walk both lines so that's why they'll be shouted down by their own party and their own group it's a liberal think tank they're going to try to shout in the white noise now hey we need to talk to each other and the, the mob's going to say nope we don't i'm sorry guys it's, it's where we are Ideas have consequences, and the consequences of uh, the detraction of, the removal of a substantial truth above and beyond mankind has led us to a point where the loudest and strongest man gets to say what truth is. And we don't have, like, one king ruling the planet outside of Jesus. We have a bunch of other petty warlords trying to do what they're trying to do. So Donald Trump, my president, who I still might vote for because if Kanye is down on the ticket, I ain't voting for Biden. I mean, I'm sorry. He doesn't even—he's not alive. I mean, I'm sorry. He's— 
you can't string sentences together. What do you want me to do? And then his policies have just been like liquid. The guy's as malleable as they come. He's not even a human, it seems sometimes. I mean, he's a human, but like he doesn't have a will. Anyway, so how do you want me to vote for that? Or what about, you know, I, I love the third party idea between uh, Brett Weinstein and, um, and uh, uh, and Joe Rogan, right? Uh, anything that would stir up the debate to get the talk to be about not dividing, to get the talk to be about how Americans agree on a couple of key things, like that we want to have streets where people don't get shot on, right? That, that that's an important thing. That we also believe in the value of the United States as a history, that the value of human rights comes out of this country's adopting what are ultimately some Christian virtues as ideas, as ideology, and that there is no other civilization right now promoting those things like your rights as an individual, not to be deprived of property, not to be deprived of your life, not to be a slave. We want to cut off the intellectual undergirdings of anti-slavery that actually exists in history in the name of having less slavery while we have sex trafficking going on in our northern territories with young women and people being arrested in our highest levels of authority in the land for going to islands where they also are dealing with sex trade trafficking and people are getting, of course, committing suicide when they're caught. Yes, because of course that's what happens. At what point do you just decide that Jesus is coming back and the rest of it don't matter, but your kids are waiting for you around the corner. I'm talking to myself right now. And your wife's waiting for you around the corner and your neighbors are right here trying to have a good Saturday. And they need hope, not cynicism. You need hope, not cynicism. And if I ever let the cynic within me become the dominant voice, you just shout me down, tell me to shut my mouth, and remember what I came here to do. I've told this story before, too. There's a little plaque I saw once. I've seen it more than once now, but the first time I saw it was at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in, um, oh, for goodness sakes, Janesville? That's not Janesville. Plainsville. Plainsville, Illinois. Uh, I was friends with the pastor who was there when I was in Naperville. And I performed a wedding there once, um, some members, and long story about how that all ended up there. Um, But I remember sitting behind the pulpit. He performed the wedding I preached. I remember sitting behind the pulpit, getting ready to preach, and there's a little tiny plaque. And I just wanted to scream and cry and rejoice and sing. It said, uh, please, sir, we would see Jesus. Please, sir, we would see Jesus. A, a direct quote from those who I believe it's in Mark's gospel. I think it's in. Or, uh, uh, no, quote me on that one. In any case, you know, it's the week of Holy Week. They, they come, they ask the disciples, please, sir, please, men, we, we would see Jesus. And to have a pastor be reminded of that is so important. So what I need from you is for you to cheer on the Jesuses when I give them to you, right? Make sure you just shout it right back at me because I, you know, this is tough for like Wolf Mueller and Harrison and uh, Todd Wilkins a little different because um, he's, he's not, um, well, maybe not though. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. You'd have to ask Todd. I, I think his connection point to his local parish might make it different. But for a lot of us who are out here in the public square and, and for your preachers in general, frankly, this is the case for your pastor straight up. Nobody speaks the gospel to him. Nobody does. Above him? No, they don't. They don't. They tell him more to do and what he didn't do right and how to be careful lest he do it again. That is by and large the 99% swath of emotional leadership we receive as pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I imagine it's like that a lot of other places as well. 
And so the more that you can, when you hear the gospel, just speak it back. He has risen, that kind of thing. One of my members, she probably thinks I'm annoyed with her, but you know, I, I preached a sermon a while back about he has risen and how we should say it, not just during Easter. And she's done it all like through a whole year. And I think she, I finally stopped her because I didn't say it fast enough back to her, but she's like just doing what I asked her to do, right? Um, the, the trick is, is even when I, it caught me off guard every time she'd say it, I needed it though, right? I need someone else to confess to me that what I'm saying is true. Amen. Keep preaching, preacher, that kind of thing, right? Uh, and, and particularly to do so, this is how you guard orthodoxy. You don't guard it with rules you write down. You guard it by questioning the preacher. What do you mean, preacher? What is? We've heard this. We've been taught this. It's written here, right? And that conversation, well, that's a real preaching. That's the real preaching. We've lost that too. I, I, I notice, uh, I don't want to miss here... Um, we're already caught. There's another super chat that popped up. Really appreciate the super chats. Uh, they are a big deal, uh, for me, as I've, I've pointed out before, a uh, Jedi Knight jumps in again. He says this, uh, names like white noise, et cetera, are awesome to claim. They could be claimed by progressives to yell at all white conservatives. It's true, but you got there first. That's right. You, you see me, you see what I'm doing. The white noise is actually racially charged, isn't it? Look at that. And yet we're taking it and make it not racially charged. Uh, the white noise matrix or the Googleplex, whichever, which one you want to use it, but you're exactly right to pull that back, um, and grab some of these terms that are out there. Um, uh, da, 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 da. You, got, you can yell white noise evangelicals. The point is that the white noise isn't white or black. You remember white noise on your TV? This is, I mean, do you, do you have a TV or do you just have like a smart TV with cable and the internet? Cause TV, God, I remember when the feds changed this and you had, it all went like, like HD and you had to get like a different antenna. And I was all worried my TV wouldn't work long enough. Hey, the back, back when you bought stuff and you thought you'd use it for a while. Um, <laughs> so so tv for you, you kids sit back and listen it used to not come across wire right right or or the phone the internets and stuff instead uh what we old timers did is um it was a box you plug it into power it has like these things these, these ears antenna it's like bug antennas standing up there yeah and you and you you turn a channel and like maybe there's something on it right and for like four of the 13 on my tv there was something there every time Always ABC, NBC. We could trust these people. Of course, they're they're for good of America. So we watch those channels, and there's like Fox shows up is way at the back, like thirteen. They did some cartoons and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, so you got four or five channels, and you have like nine channels that don't have nothing. And you push that button, it goes, and it's like just black and white noise, fuzz, distortion. What do you want to call it? It's nothing. It's lack of information. It is a scattered numbers one zero one zero. Just in nothing. And no matter how hard you look at that cloud of white-black splatter, you don't see nothing but noise. That's white noise. That's white noise as visual for you, right? Now, that is trying to find truth in this planet today. Which speckled spot can you trust beyond where it just was? And the answer is you can't if you're looking in the white noise. And again, notice this has nothing to do with your skin color whatsoever. It has everything to do with the blackout that the white noise causes, which is that there's no sharing of any information whatsoever. It is nonsense and chaos alone. Now, one of the cool things you could do on these old TVs is you could open up a little thing and deep inside there, there'd be like, like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, 
a rolly thingy. What do you call it? As a sphere, a gear. It's probably a gear. It's a gear that you could like push with your thumb and you could go all the way one way and you could go all the way the other way. What that did was it would tweak the signal that the antenna, TV signal, kind of like radio signal, that the antenna, not like internet, the antenna was trying to pick up. You could like veer on the frequency enough to try to find something. So like even in Oregon, I could find like a Spanish station. Right. <laughs> and as I got older, you know, TBS and TNT showed up. Turner. Oh, thank God for... No. No. God bless Turner. Ugh. Not the best company in the world. In any case, uh, TV, white noise. Yeah, you're right. The, the language of race is so charged. And yet, for that very reason, we got to pull it back, too. Like, white as a... Co- I'm not this. That's why I never... I'm not white. I'm a pale peach. So whatever. And, and and am I a slave owner? Am I a, a son of slave owners? Not on American soil. I would contend that there's a good chance that where my relatives were some semi-lorded almost royalty in northern England as Viking conquerors turned British lords, Scottish lords, kind of. At some point, there was serfs that were under them, which could kind of be considered slavery. So you go far enough back, I'm sure there's slavery in my genetic lineage. But that's all. That's the case for all of us. I mean, just a couple generations off the boat with Noah. We're all uh, in this thing because slavery's been there for so much of history. I don't want it back. What scares me about what's going on, uh, you want what scares me as a father is my daughter's being taken from me or their daughters and sons being taken from them a generation down and separated from them the rest of their lives in the name of stopping racism or hate. But actually what it is, is it's just stopping the Christians from being able to teach their children. That worries me. That's where the freedom of religion matters to me. This is not an unheard of happenstance in the history of humanity. Right. And while on the one end, I'm like, oh, okay, that means I got to be a little more serious about taking care of my nuts and bolts here on this end. Those nuts and bolts do not necessarily mean, again, prepping, storing up ammo and gold or what have you. I mean, there's reasons for those things, too. But if you want to prep, the prep you need is your soul. The prep you need is your mind. The prep you need is the word of God inside of you. You want to be at a place where they cannot take the word of God from you. And the only way you do that is you memorize some of it. You've heard me talk about this before. You want to get your primary verse. If it's not your confirmation verse, get one that is, you like it all the more. I added onto the back of my confirmation verse. I've told this before, right? You are not your own, plural. You, plural, were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your plural body, okay? Uh, And uh, for, adding on, we have this treasure in jars of clay. For me, to say that every day is a big deal. It's hard to do. It hurts. I can't seem to get there. But by the time I've done it, Thank God it was said. Thank God those words were there. I want those words to never be taken away. And for that reason, I'm putting them into the Greek in my own head as well, because I want to be able to, with my dying breath, should they decide to string me up, disembowel me, torture me, lean on my neck for eight minutes and martyr me, I don't want to scream anything other than, And I want to say that again and again, but I'm also going to go into the English and preach, he is risen, he will come again, Christ have mercy, carry a laser. I want those words to be so in me, I had no choice but to think those words and speak those words. And I want that to be the case for the Bible in general, for me, with every human I come into contact with. Not that I have to quote chapter and verse every time, although that'd be interesting to see someone do it, wouldn't it now? Um, To have conversations that are just bleeding with the scriptures. They are just, they are painted red with the blood on the doorposts of our hearts. Yeah. Uh, that, that Christ would just cover us with what he has said. 
So uh, the white noise works against that. Back to Jedi Knight's comment. The white noise would not let you have the blood run across it, and it is not... There is one thing that matters more than everything else. Y'all, y'all, y'all. So, I don't want you to walk away scared. Prince Adam changed to He-Man channel to go into white noise for 30 seconds. Really? Uh, yeah, no, that, that didn't happen to me, Josh. That's funny. Him turning into He-Man, though, I mean, that's a little bit of the Giver moment, right? That's your resurrection moment. That's the moment you have to know is more true than what you see and what you feel. You are an immortal. Uh, you are a being of, of everlasting but physical light now. Uh, that you are, uh, what, divine, uh, sanctified through and through, made holy and... Um, significantly unique. I don't know how else to say holy in English, really. Uh, pulled out of the darkness of the white noise and into the marvelous light of what the, the mountain of God. The valley of the shadow of death gives way, and before you, you can see the city on a hill, plain and true, which is all those tied to the one man, Jesus Christ. That has nothing to be afraid of. That leaves you with all of these things with nothing to fear. That's where even, you know, as I mentioned, my fear for my grandkids or my kids or whatever, baptism is sufficient and we need to teach them that. We need to say that. Your baptism stands and makes you whole. But again, to bring it home, to memorize, Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer, to not let them be taken from you. So they take your books, they take your Bibles, they take your hymnals. No, they can't. What do Paul and Timothy do when they are in the jails? They sing. They sing. And it wasn't, you know, uh, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. No, 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 no. They were singing the song. The Psalms. We got to do that again sooner than later here, in in a better way. We got to take them home. They got to be on our lips, on our lips, on our lips. We'll we'll get into that more next time. Thank you all uh, for tuning in. I will do one more. Josh said Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, ironically, these are the same people that rage against C.S. Lewis for Christian indoctrination. Yeah, well, there's no irony. There's no irony. Look, look. Stop. Stop thinking the devil's not behind the world. There's no irony. In any of this, there is ideas having consequences. And ideas have consequences not always the moment you say, I think this is true. Right? Like sometimes it takes generations for the first person who said, I think this is true, to have that truth show you how it's not. This is why history is such a valuable tool. It doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes, as is uh, as more often said these days, and is probably right. But that rhyme, you can hear it. There's no question about the rhyme. You're like, ooh, that rhymes with that. Ooh, that's bad. You need to study that, but particularly study it from the point of view of those who are Christians who went through it, which is where, again, uh, the stories that you are letting go in are the stories that will come out. And you know which story you need more of. You know which story you need more of. Hey, um, I've done the sales pitch for everything else already. It's the end of a Saturday morning for me. I'm going to head out and try to have a Saturday day. There's so many good things. There's so many good things. And one of them is you because you have been purchased. You've been bought. You've been sanctified, justified with the blood of Jesus Christ. You're immortal now. So, Hey, let's, let's go live like it. Um, get some confession, absolution, some supper as soon as you can. And uh, we'll see you on the other side, because no matter what they do, take they our life, goods, fame, child, wife, though these all be gone, we will still stand upon the ruins of the world and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs> 